Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. This hour is brought to you by Vasectomy Clinics of Chicago. The Bernstein and Home Show. My belief is it would be malpractice to pass on the idea of owning your bear's land, your mixed-use, massive commercial real estate amusement park venture. You're building hotels. You're building apartment buildings. You're building shopping malls and movie theaters. And you're going to own every penny of that. The value of that's going to be astronomical to the overall bottom line of your franchise value. I, for one, am here for make them earn it. Since this is public money, make them pay their fair share in this. And if you negotiate a fair share, keep it moving, build your place, and then you can start printing money. You're going to be kicking yourself if you cut off your nose to spite your face and say, screw you, we're going to do some convoluted, over-corrupted, mobbed-up deal with the city. Just pay it. This is the figurative and literal tax for doing business pay it and then get on with the gettings on bernstein and home middays 10 a.m to 2 on chicago sports radio 670 the score happy friday and for some of us a happy long weekend friday that that makes it feel kind of special it's such a, I, I may actually get my second shingles shot this weekend that's how you like to party huh I, you, hey man when you you're get, shingling baby you get to <laughs> one of my friends ahead, has baby. shingles dude shingles is coming on super one of your, super yeah one of your friend, like this is the second person? one of my friends to get shingles don't mess with it man do it, not mess with well, it. I know I have chicken pox. It, I'm good. No, it arrives abnormally early. Like people thought that, that was something that you get when you're in your no offense, Dan, but like your 50s or your 60s. I'm no. I know what, several people who got shingles in their 30s. One That's of my friends got it in when we were in our mid-20s, and another one of my friends just got it a week ago, week two weeks ago. I thought you were just hanging out with 60 and 70-year-olds. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you, don't, you guys don't know what I What's do on the weekends. What's wrong with that? Maybe he does. There's nothing maybe wrong. No judgment. Maybe it's my old buddies from the gym. It was the best. I miss those guys. I, I just was going to see if Studs would invite me with his older pals. I think it would be fun. It's all the but, older but pals all... at the dive bar down the street. It is good to have friends that are various ages. I agree. Yes, I don't some... like it when all my friends are the same. Then it's strange. Because some people, when they've when they've lived longer, they actually have life wisdom that they can impart to you. Things that they can teach you so you don't make the same mistakes they did. Then... Or you can have the same successes they had. Then they tell you how long they've been a Bears fan. and. <laughs> 
That's why they can have a terrible opinion about the Bears. I go all the way back to Jack on Cannon. That doesn't mean you've been good at this. That just means you've survived. Exactly. Frankly, you do deserve an award for, just not the one you think. We're broadcasting live from the Hyundai Studios, brought to you by your local Hyundai dealers. We'll talk with Megan Montemuro at 11, high noon, 1140. Yes. Kevin Fishbane at noon, Marshall Harris, 1225, and Megan McEwen. At one thirty, on uh, all the stuff that's going on in the world of sports, I got to figure out what to do with this uh, box of cereal. We're gonna throw it away. What box of cereal are you speaking? Stop of? relieving the generational trauma of your parents who lived through the depression, or your parents' parents who lived through the depression. What saving things? Right, that is not to be saved. I save. Th- don't I, save her. Hey, How I, else we don't want to be the, saved? I had a great job. You would have been so proud of me throwing stuff out when the Comer and Cross people did my garage and everything was taken out of the garage and I looked at the big pile of stuff I'm like yeah this most of this is garbage I mean I threw out it was it was so freeing it was so liberating old golf clubs and all of these like I, I found 20 hockey pucks that we took and donated I mean, it's some of it. Just you wouldn't believe what was in that garage. All right. No, I would. So actually. what is this box of cereal though in your hand? You must explain. You're, Thank if you. You're, Thanks for not, asking. Do not eat this on. Do not eat that on the shift. Do what? not. No, we're throwing it out. No. I'm not dealing with your like. It has to be no. a no. There has to be a ceremonial consumption. No, there doesn't. Yep. A no, ceremony. It would actually one. be ceremonial if you threw it away. That would make the most sense because that's what the bears did. Nope. I'm not dealing with a sick host on my day off. There's no spider eggs in it. I don't care. It smells fine. No, it doesn't. Just I'm one not bite. seriously. I'm like legitimately frustrated right now because I don't feel like dealing with this on a day that I, I came in. Probably actually tastes pretty good to me. Oh my god! Can we call somebody for a backup host? He'll be fine. I'm not doing we'll it. do that. You We're, don't know and, that. And what uh, Dan is doing is eating BoJack cereal, the Eddie Jackson cereal. They're not. It's not even stale. It actually tastes really What's good. What's the read the expiration date on the front? Sir. You know that that's Please. actually Ex- kind of bad. July twenty fifth of twenty twenty two. Well, that yeah. was the best buy date, right? Also, yeah. like, what's the Circuit City date? If you leave cereal out it's like good. that in Texas, in air conditioning, you know, a climate controlled environment, mm. it's going stale within like three days. This is not stale. The this, humidity is this, that overpowering. This tastes like it was. It's. It's. I, I'm not kidding. Like it's absolutely brand new, fresh. Okay. Do you feel better now? Because I don't feel like doing a show with somebody who's going to be sick all day you, because you, he did something to himself. You know what this is. This you is, trolling? This is the equivalent of your one day contract. It's it was the it was no, the, it is not. It was the, yeah, it was. It was a, it was an empty ceremonial gesture to bring closure to the the Eddie Jackson era in Chicago. The ceremonial gesture has no potential effect on one's digestive tract. Come on, I'm like a billy goat. I can I. I eat expired meat. Hey, there, wasn't cheeses. there something? It's really and... funny to me how obsessed you are with non-anecdotal science, but then how much you love to use your own anecdotal science. I know my system. Now That's recently... what they all say, Dan. You're one of the people you I hate. I do my own research. Yeah, I that, quit. I, I do all I of my quit own the research. Show. I, I hope am, you guys have had fun. I am today. inoculated, if not necessarily. See, this is this is actual inoculation against against future bad safety play. There. This is my day off. <laughs> And now we thank you. And, 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 and no, with, you don't. And, no, and, nobody's <laughs> thanking me right now. And with that, here we go. Viking funeral. We need a we need a burning arrow. So now Dan has put the Eddie Jackson have, Bojack cereal in the garbage. Yeah, if can. you really That's didn't it. want to be wasteful, you would put the box of that cereal into a recycling bin. Okay.
I think we need to actually do a Viking funeral. Let's take the box out to the lake and get some kind of thing to float it on, and then we'll get an a, a light an arrow on fire. Anyone shoot an arrow here? Uh, yeah, recycle. That's like not well? actually. That's they not, don't it's really, a small target. That's not that. That's not a recycle bin. They they use it as a trash can. That doesn't. You're purposefully taking everything literally. Do not put a trash can on the desk. Can I? Dear God. This is why I don't have children. I am surrounded by them on a multi-hour basis. There. Done. It's it's fine. It's recycling. It's just paper and stuff. No, you, <sighs> people use it as a trash can. You have to actually understand that people practically use things in a way that is functional for them. The 312 says, it. tell me you didn't throw out old pre-80s golf clubs. Yes. They were my, some old, I think they were my grandfather's from, from Omaha, from, what was it? Which country club? Westwood country? Not Westwood. I forgot which one it was. Um, <laughs> Layla's leaving. So why don't, as we discuss, I think she's going to get more disinfectant because we set the recycling on, on the desk there. And now she has to get paper towels she's to wipe with Lysol. Yeah. The problem is, I hope, you, I hope it was Lysol and not the bleach stuff. Because if you spray the bleach stuff, I made the mistake of doing that one time when, like, Mulligan was coughing all over the place. So he left... And I sprayed all this, and it turns out it was the bleach, and I had, like, these bleach fumes in my eyes for the entire show, and I was sick the whole afternoon. I okay, I can see it says Lysol. So you made yourself sick in multiple ways? Yeah, but it was bleach sick, so that's probably good. Like, because remember when, when Trump said that we should inject bleach into our system to kill all the bad stuff? So as long as I'm doing my own research on everything, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that under advisement now, because I think that just might work. I hope you're happy. You've given all the trolls the fuel they need for the rest of their days, and you did it to yourself. Yep. I went out and I fed them. And In the words of DJ Khaled, you played yourself. Eh. And perhaps your digestive tract. I'll be fine. I promise you, I will be fine. And if I'm not, I won't admit it. So, Jaylen, No, you will not. No, I won't. Uh, Jalen Johnson had some thoughts about Eddie Jackson. And this was with Parkins and Spiegel before the last game of the season with the handwriting on the wall and the understanding that it probably was going to come to an end, as it did yesterday, of what the veteran safety meant to him. I think for me, it's been it's, it's been a heck of a journey, I think, with Eddie. And I've learned to I've learned to 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 grow and to understand Eddie. And I think really, I think coming to the league, it was. Eddie and he had just got paid like I, the Eddie Jackson I know now versus Eddie Jackson I knew when I got into the league I feel like is it's two totally different guys and I think just being able to really grow with him as players and stuff on the field I mean me and Eddie used to get into it he used to say like just say little Ricky things or you ain't been in it long enough da, da, da. and it's like it's always been always been love and like a certain push but I think too now just being able to develop a certain chemistry and respect for Eddie I think it's something that I I'd always appreciate it if it is our last game, but just always having that. Because, I mean, there's times where, quite honestly, we we do things off script where there's things that we'll see and I'll look and I'll be like, hey, Eddie, we're going to do this or we're going to do that. We're going to two-man this or we're going to do this. Or if he does this and you take it, I'm going to take this or you. So, I mean, just being able to have that chemistry with a safety like that, I can go get the ball that you can be um, in sync with. I think that's a special that's a special thing. And I've been able to get that, I think, really since my second year. And I think too, he's 
he's learned to trust me as well, being able to go out there and perform and do and play the game at the highest level. So, I mean, just really that. And then also, too, just growing spiritually. I mean, we've had plenty of conversations about our relationship with God is how we can grow closer as men, as men together and just helping each other. We, we pray, we started a prayer circle every day as a practice. So, I mean, we just, we've just been, we, we've been in it. We've been through it. I mean, of course we, it hasn't been too many wins and things like that, but through the adversity, through the good times, I feel like me and Eddie always been solid. So, I mean, I feel like if, if he was to leave, I think that would definitely be, be, be hard on me. Cause I mean, I've, I've had a lot of, older guys leave but I think with him leaving considering the time spent considering things we've done on and off the field I think that'll be I think that'll be probably the hardest the hardest move for me. Ooh, got my phone. I think that'll be the hardest move for me um honestly but I think just his presence on the field I think he's just a guy that brings a lot of confidence to the team brings a lot of confidence to our defense and to our secondary so I think if if it is his last one I know his presence will definitely be missed that's Jalen Johnson, who is never shy about speaking his truth. So it's some it's one of those things where I always remember the quote from from Mike Shashevsky, you know, having been around him since what eighty seven, and he always had an old guy next to him. He always liked to have an old guy on the bench. And then over time, if you watch what happened with his coaching staff, you know, he had Colonel Tom Rogers next to him, and you know, he had Pete Gaudet. And then eventually guys next to him weren't and he said he said I always would look over at the old guy and then one time you realize you are the old guy Mm -hmm. you don't need the old guy there anymore the thing that I give credit to Eddie Jackson for is after that absolutely atrocious 2021 season where we all had fun trying to make fun of his tackles my favorite being the upper back tackle where he thought that containing the absolutely wrong edge on somebody headed straight for the end zone, that he was going to tackle them somehow by ricocheting himself off of somebody who had proper pad level. And he actually pushed him toward the end zone, yeah, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it didn't work. He right? actually ended up scoring. So that was, to me, like peak fail Eddie Jackson moment. But the fact that he came in the next year and his excitement about Jaquan Brisker was not unfounded. And that he... He not only pumped up Jaquan Brisker, but he helped himself in doing so in a way that was beneficial for both. And then you saw that on the field. That's where he gets a lot of credit to me. All pro Eddie Jackson absolutely deserves credit. Being drafted in the fourth round and being one of Ryan Pace's best draft picks, frankly. You know, he deserves credit for that. Everyone does in that example. Single-handedly winning that game at Detroit. When out of nowhere, there he was with the pick six, and uh, that that that'll be my one, of, maybe my favorite moment of his. He had he had two pick sixes in the span of four days because that earlier that week on the Sunday, right? They played Minnesota at night, right, 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 and right, they, and yep. he had the pick six that sealed the game. And let's face it, I've always said this about Mitch Trubisky: he didn't choose where he was drafted. That's separate from our frustration about those who put him in that position and his production therein. Same thing goes for Eddie Jackson. You're taking that contract every day of the week. You're taking that contract if you're him. Well, and he, as far as backing it up, that that's on him, and we can we can judge that part of it in a way that makes sense. But you know, he put himself in that position to get that money, and that's pretty much another reason why Ryan Pace isn't here is because he overpaid for people. So I feel like. In, in his case, at least he did put in the work the next year that showed you what he can do. He also went through a lot of personal stuff. You know, he, find, he finally talked about that in a way that I think 
maybe they waited until he was ready and that's why it took so long. But he went through a lot of personal issue as well with his family. And uh, I feel like all of that is, it's not very often when you get to go through that many seasons with somebody as an athlete and understand a little more than, than maybe others do about who they are, you know, and still get to see him redeem himself in a way. That's a lot with somebody. Brad Biggs was on this morning, and he had thoughts on not just Eddie Jackson, but what the Bears should do to find a replacement for him. So we'll go back and listen to some of that when we return. It's Layla Rahimi in for Lawrence Holmes today on the Bernstein and Holmes Show on a lovely Chicago Friday on the score. On a test dance digestive tract Friday on the score. Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2 on 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. Station, Station. Here comes Stafford. And he's picked off, and it's going the distance. Eddie Jackson, for the fifth time in his young career, has a touchdown. This is an incredible play by Jackson. He's going to bring the orchestra together like he did last week. (laughs) Last week it was an orchestra. Now now calisthenics at the top of your screen left. He sprints and gets there, and Stafford never sees him. That's back when we thought that the call on CBS was good. That's when we were still – remember when we really enjoyed Nance and Romo? When it was Are re- you being when Romo watched tape? <laughs> you said it. Dude, I you guys talked about that on Monday. I was listening and I I thought I was the only one as confused by that first quarter comment as he I thought I was like, maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm the one who's confused. No, he by actually that. was right. It's just how it all sort of came around was wrong. But his actual his description of it was technically correct. But all he had to say was, don't worry about the clock. Clock doesn't matter. Clock's not an issue right here. You know, as a Cowboys fan, hearing his inner monologue makes some of the things on the field make more sense now. Some of the inconsistencies in the big moments? Correct. Got it. So Brad Biggs (laughs) was on this morning on the Mully and Haw show with Gabe Ramirez in with David. And these were his thoughts on the end of the Eddie Jackson era. Well, you're not looking to replace them. You're looking to you're looking to upgrade uh, with uh, younger younger talent, and it's it's not going to be easy. Um, and you're certainly not going to get a replacement that's likely to have the same presence um, with his teammates immediately. Anyway, Eddie Jackson's a guy who had had been the elder statesman on that defense for a while, a player that. Uh, Young guys turned to a guy who opened the doors of his home to those young defensive backs pretty much at all times. Uh, So was a mentor to a Jaquan Brisker, a Tyreek Stevenson. I mean, those guys would talk about how appreciative they were that they could go over to Eddie's place after work and talk about work, talk about life. Uh, talk about a little bit of football, and um, he, he was a real positive influence on those guys. So you can't replace that uh, anytime real soon. So the replacement aspect here is an interesting one. 
yesterday in the afternoon show, I heard Dave Wanstead suggest the idea of moving the very physical corner Tyreek Stevenson to the safety position. And Dave was such a hoot yesterday. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I heard about it. I was at work. It was the most Dave thing. I don't know how they started out on this discussion. I guess they just sort of decided to ask him things because Dave can just be cute when he answers different questions. They asked him, they said, if you had like one great, your favorite Mexican meal, like what would be the best Mexican meal you could possibly have? And he did. Oh, nachos. Like. First of all, that's not really Mexican, but it was like he was so enthusiastic about it. it was, there was never a doubt in his mind. He wasn't like running through like, well, the tortilla chips with <laughs> processed cheese. No, he probably accurate. Means like, <laughs> like incredibly a, well, accurate. Where, well, where are your favorites? Oh, the chilies and O'Hare. Yeah, no, but it was, it was like nachos. Like, no, it's not Mexican. Oh, yeah, but again, it's kind of like this recycle bin. It's what people say versus what is literal. I know, but it's 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 Mexican-ish. It's like when Jennifer Tex-Mex. Lopez, when Jennifer Lopez was in Italy, and there's a huge deal that she was going to Italy, and and the reporters are gathered around. What is your favorite Italian meal? And she answers, <laughs> chicken parm. <laughs> You know what it is? And they're like, what the hell is that? (laughs) Like, what? One of the more authentic J-Lo moments from her, actually. Hey, man. And I didn't think that I would be saying that because she's pretty great. But authenticity might not be number one on the list there. You feel me, Ray? Absolutely. Yeah, okay. That's that's valid. I appreciate what Brad Biggs said because that was my first question is, oh, that's a lot of money off of the books. And then I was like, wait a second. Who's going to be there? To me, you have a, you have to go outside for that solution. I think they will. I think they'll find like a, a, a Tashawn Gibson type of guy. You know, they did it with what? Haha Clinton Dix. There, there are always what's the way some other team is going to look at Eddie Jackson, frankly, is you know, they'll look at him as a sort of like a wake up call, change of scenery. You got to you know work for it now kind of thing. So Biggs disagreed with Wanstead about the not about the nachos. I he probably loves nachos. Who doesn't like nachos? No, nachos are awesome. I just wouldn't say I don't crave Mexican food and then say let's get nachos. Yeah, Layla nailed it. That's Tex Mex right there. Yeah. Right. Also, if it involves a lot of cheese, that's how you know it's Tex Mex. Right. There's nothing wrong with that. That's how you know. Like people, when you order a taco, and you get it like a cheeseburger, and you cover your taco with cheese and tomatoes and lettuce you're not supposed to do that the idea of a taco is a good tortilla the taste of the meat a little bit of onion and cilantro and the salsa that's it that's what a taco is but how none of these are wrong is good are you saying that taco bell's soft taco with all the fixings is not a proper taco well i'm just i i am not gonna hear this slander today i know i will not hear the slander for taco it is my day off i like taco you're not ruining your digestive tract taco bell is good i love all tacos are fine i love taco bell i love it i've always have except the one in bourbon a when i ordered 10 tacos and six of them had no meat because that was BS. Psych! How do you mess that up? I, I don't know, but a is still laughing about it. 
I, he should. He, he be. just has the funniest thing ever. It's and prophetic. Like, and I looked really. at this, I'm like, no meat. Also, no meat. Also, no meat. This one has no meat. <laughs> it's like uh, I'll have ten tacos, uh, four meat, six no meat. Just, just the shell. Doing man, so yeah, I I don't want to taco explain. So, but that's not w- what we were talking about because Big says no, you don't move Tyreek Stevenson. To if you've got a good cornerback, leave him at cornerback. And I know that that that's been this like Bears story idea for years. Like take Kyle Fuller and make him a safety. Why shouldn't shouldn't Charles Tillman be a safety? If you've got a corner and he's a good corner, leave him at corner. Um, they don't, they don't have a replacement for Eddie on the roster right now. Like I, I just can't imagine uh, Elijah Hicks. His name probably sits in that spot right now. I can't imagine they're super comfortable with that. They'll need to make um, a move there. And I, I think Brisker's the kind of guy that I thought midway through year one, back in 2022, that he's got some natural leadership traits. So I think, uh, if he can continue to play well, if he can stay on the field, he can become that guy that maybe some some of the young players and, and you know, they've got Jalen Johnson, obviously, is a leader for him, assuming he's back, which I think that'll happen. But Jaquan Brisker's got some real leadership traits. Um, he's not going to be a guy you're going to want in that free safety role. That's not his strength. Uh, you don't want him playing center field for you. But he's got some some qualities and some attributes, and and I thought he had a uh, a, a pretty good season. I thought he was a little bit better in the second half of this past season. Um, but he's a good guy in that locker room. Okay, I agree with Brad here. I if there was ever an example of making people do too much or do something different that didn't work out well, it was probably Kyler Gordon's rookie year, right? Like put guys in positions where they're going to succeed. You can't multitask with a lot of people. Or at least have that positional versatility in the secondary, especially in like today's NFL to me, you know? I actually trust that the Bears will get this one right. Yeah, there's not much recently defensively where you could say they're not making good decisions. It's a weird feeling to have, but I think this is one where the the move is sensible, the cap savings are tremendous, and you can find a a plug-and-play veteran safety for this particular defense because it was back in the lovey smith defenses they always said there wasn't that much difference between strong and free really that in in the the classic tampa two you don't necessarily need your your free rangey center fielder free skill set and your linebacker box safety skill set against the run that you both should have that kind of versatility ideally but I think what Biggs is referring to is more specified. So I will be curious to see how they interpret that set in the defensive lineup, right? It's trying to figure out how you're going to configure. Like, talent will give you some indication of, of their direction defensively. And with Washington, the new defensive coordinator, I wonder how that's going to play into this as well. 847 Texter says, Dan, if it was late at night, they were running low on meat at Taco Bell. Trust me, I just know. You know what you do then? Oh, that makes sense. You know what you do? You close. If you can't fill the tacos, you must disclose the fact like, hey, I know you ordered 10 tacos. We can only put meat in four of them. 
You can't just keep running your business and send me through the drive-thru. Yeah, you got to tell people, yeah, man. Right, I worked at... I don't know, because I feel like Dan's still playing with house money here. Four of the eight tacos were filled with meat. Ten. For, no, four of the ten had meat. And then they just didn't okay. fill the others. You still say something. Say, hey, tacos say, with meat. But then only sell me four. Don't sell me. Don't charge me for the other six. He wanted ten. Yes. I mean, yeah. Wait, what time was it, though? It was late. Do you have a time? Late. This, they probably noticed the time. They probably noticed your state of being at the time and were like, hey, this guy's not even going to notice. The 219 said, I went to Olivet Nazarene and I had that same Taco Bell drive through person ask me if I wanted my meal for here or to go. <laughs> Amazing. You want to sit in the parking lot with the tray, homie? Um, we're going to get it here, right here in the in the drive-thru, just right, I, right next to you. I'm laughing at 574. My Mexican great-grandmother made the best gorditas, to which I replied, mine made a Crunchwrap Supreme. Hell yeah. Love a good Crunchwrap Supreme. Me too. That's the move. That's my go-to at <laughs> yeah. You know, especially if you're an innately messy eater, like I walked in today with random stain on my jacket. Like, I... I, I don't necessarily think that was from food, but still, it's the concept. You can eat that while you're driving. The Crunchwrap Supreme is contained. Yes, what I'm picturing. But what I'm picturing your abuelita, your adorable little abuelita. Momony for me. Ma- taking, like, making the masa. This absolutely, with, with every bit of love and making the tortillas. The right, had, you know, Impressing them down in the kitchen. She's got a little apron on and a sundress. She'll occasionally stop to fire her shankla at one of the kids who's acting up. That's right. And all morning she's been. I been, was chunkla. And, and, the, and the masa is just, and she makes a crunch. The crunch wrap supremes <laughs> are ready. <laughs> Do would it I be, want a Crunchwrap Supreme now? Yes. Would it be crunch- oh, Can I have one because it's Supreme. Friday during Lent? No. Couldn't you have it with the fish? The sacrifice. Couldn't See, you? I could have had your meatless tacos Man, today, Taco Dan. Bell, That's right. Taco Bell does not have a fish option. Oh, yeah. That'd probably be bad, wouldn't it? I thought they started doing fish tacos. I mean, maybe I'm to wrong. To the internet. They'd probably spell it. It's probably like not quite spelled the same because it wouldn't be actual fish. Apparently. And they couldn't use PH because that would, you know, then they'd have to get the, the cross promotion with the band and they wouldn't want that. Who knows? Apparently this is commonly Googled. <sighs> when we Do come Taco back. Taco Bell ever have fish tacos? Alaska flounder fish tacos are on the menu at Taco Bell. Really? That was in 2022. Well, I, I know there's like crunchy flounder at Popeye's and the Culver's, man, the walleye. They've still got the, the right. Culver's walleye's legit. And they do cod now, I think. That's my, Lent. Cod. I That's my cod. Lent goal. How was it? It's good. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. That's my Lent goal is to find this walleye you guys speak of. Yeah, Culver's walleye is, is, cod! is excellent. I, I was, wow, Texter, wow. Just suddenly came up with the solution here. Fish with two H's. Man, Dan, we got to stay in these jobs because we have no hope in the marketing world. We're not qualified to do anything That was so fast. I did not think of that. When we returned, we talked a lot about the safety position. Well, with the release of Cody Whitehair, I do think there is much more significance about the position that he vacates. We'll discuss on the score. You're listening to Bernstein and Holmes, Middays 10 to 2, on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. I just wish we could all get along like we used to in middle school. I wish that I could bake a cake made out of rainbows and smiles and we'd all eat and be happy. She doesn't even go here. 
for me because it's my day off. Cody White, Cody Whitehair doesn't go here either anymore. Uh, I mean, okay. I don't know why. I just feel like <laughs> they put him in a bad spot. You know, I think they just made him do a lot of things that that's a lot of that's a huge ass to be able to do what he did on the line. Well, he did a lot. And and truth, yes. truth be told, Cody Whitehair was a college tackle who became a multiple Pro Bowl center. Did he make more than one eventually? He played guard. He played center. I believe with the Bears, there was some emergency tackle in there. He had a he had a nice a nice Bears career. One Pro Bowl. Yeah, he mm-hmm. did make a Pro Bowl, and he had a lot of value. He really did. The magical 2018 year is when he made the Pro Bowl. Man, 2018, no wonder they talk about that year so much. I'm like, uh, why do you guys love a year where you still just lost in the playoffs in an extra game? Oh, because everybody got individual awards. I see. Well, it was a fun year, too. It was until, you know, you saw the effects of the offense start to wane in December and then ultimately – you know, Matt Nagy didn't want to run the ball at all. Tyree Cohen or Tariq Cohen got like what four touches in that game, and then they still lost the playoff game. And then everybody's like, "Oh, we're trying to get back to that year." I think you should aim higher. I think you should aim higher. My larger focus has been on the center position for some time. I've had kind of a revelation this year, and maybe it's always been the case. Hey, Bernstein, where you've been, it's always mattered. It's it has seemed the the difference to me between high-level center play and not has been more noticeable. And maybe it's Bader-Meinhof effect. Maybe I've just sort of chosen to see it more. Right. That there's an observational bias that I've appreciated center play more because I, I've i just thought about it more and I'm just more aware of it. And that's certainly possible that you can go back to Jim Langer on the Dolphins or Mike Webster and say, it's always been like that, Bernstein. Okay, maybe you're right. I'm just being honest about my appreciation for seeing it at the NFL level and knowing what the Bears have lacked and and realizing how good they could be if they had a real ass kicker back there again. Well, or just somebody who had better timing. And that's really what it comes down to. When Lucas Patrick first signed here, how much were we talking about looking forward to seeing what he could do because of the offense that he was on and who he was next to? proximity to Aaron Rodgers. Olin, Olin Cruz talked about that. You know, is it is are we going to get better because Lucas Patrick is here or was it Aaron Rodgers? The, we ultimately found out. And the timing mechanism, when it's bad, you see how it just puts you behind from the very beginning of the play. You're at a disadvantage. So to me, when when you start seeing it over and over again because you know how to look for it, I mean, even think about the game with Michigan and Alabama. You're you're constantly seeing where if the timing is poor because it started poorly, how much that just hurts you in games. So of course we're noticing it, and more. that's just the snap, right? That, that's just, we haven't even talked about bit about blocking. That's what when you see what some of these guys do, the movement, the ability to go two, three gaps in either direction horizontally and then reach multiple levels vertically. And the guys that can do all three of those, the guys who can be reliable at the shotgun snap and can get out and run to the side and pull and can hit one block, reach block, and then influence a linebacker, 
they should make a lot of money because they're really important. And part of it, too, is what, what the tush push is and watching, seeing the focus on that, the stuff that Kalen Kaler has done, talking about the center play on that and Jason Kelsey and low pad level. So it's just been something that, that I am I'm keenly aware of the Bears' desperate need for improvement at that spot, however they want to do it. And additionally, you are going to need that position in the NFL, the swing guy who can play multiple positions because of the nature of health on an offensive line. So figure out who that person is for you. Like The reason we're talking about Eddie Jackson and Cody Whitehair so much is because of the use, right? I mean, it's, there are a lot of people who spend some years on a team, and first of all, they don't make it to an additional contract. Well, these are material secondly, players, yeah. They aren't dependent on like this. And to me, these two were absolutely dependent on. Like, Cody Whitehair still started 118 games, still played in 124. Like, that. that's notable. It was just a matter of how they were, they were using him. And really, a lot of it to me just stems from you're noticing his play more at center because you also weren't getting what you needed from the other center. I think you also made the point during transition that this also is a, a marking point of regimes. The people who were really important to drafted previously and this idea that the Bears aren't that anymore. And that's the circle of NFL life for successful players with good careers who, like you say, do get paid, do eventually make enough to set themselves up. And this is the stage at which they can maybe have a third act with another franchise. Maybe not. And then we'll see if one of the, somebody like that might end up being the Bears' free safety. Yeah, that's that's the position that concerns me because they made such gains defensively in the last several games of the season. Once they got Montez Sweat, what their view on that position is going to be, just how they use it, and also think about how much money this frees up when you're talking about Eddie Jackson contract and Cody Whitehair was a decently paid veteran. The Bears have so much money now to work with under the salary cap. It's almost like we're echoing the same thing that happened last offseason. So I just want to know how they're going to use it. And, you know, we didn't even talk about, like, the other players who were on one-year deals and, and cost money, for example, like Yannick Ngakwe. What are you doing there? That was not good. Well, we don't talk about it as much because they got Montez Sweat. Right. Think about how much we would be discussing it if they hadn't gotten it. We knew how desperate it was when they did it because those are those are what his contracts are like. It's why he's on a different team every year. Well, I think there was a heat. The averaging of eight sacks a season isn't nothing. No, it's I, not. That is, that is big but, time. But there's some empty calories in there. It, it's going to drop off at some point. You know where he actually made a pleasant difference to me that was unexpected was in the run defense. And he was criticized for his run defense. But how are they spending that money this season? I, I just think that I would rather pay a little, a lot less for a little less production and a little more motor from a younger player. Yeah, I mean, that's what everybody wants. It's just a matter of who's available. Like, he was still available, and that was the price, so you paid it. We sure got the taco texters going. It is unbelievable what we've done. One taco person, Friday. One person remi- that you <laughs> reminded that it was Lent, and they said they had meat yesterday, and now they're going to hell, and... No, they, yesterday's fine. No, they feel bad. I thought it was after anything after Ash Wednesday, right? No, Lent, no. I I do no Lent on Friday. 
Okay, so Thursday is like a swing day. In the, I, like it's it just okay. Friday. I thought the moment the ashes are on, meat's over for 40 days. If you days. gave up meat for Lent, but no, but I do. To. I gave up sweets and then uh, no meat on Friday. I'm glad I didn't give up sweets because of this, this bucket of toffee that Beth got from like this wedding toffee specialist oh, yeah. chocolatier. You guys were talking about that. Oh, Did you figure God. out a way to... Actually, functionally, I, spit I it hid up. it. No, I, I, hit, she, I, I did hide it from her. And then she asked me, she said, I want some of the toffee. Show me where you hid it. And I said, No, I said, I'll get it, but I'm not going to show you where I hid it. What it's, about it's Maggie like the, the dog? It's like the bat cave. Dogs did Maggie can, the dog find dogs it? Dogs can't have chocolate. No, but they smell things. No, she didn't bother it, actually. Hmm. She's really chill when it comes to stuff like that. But this, this text from the 847. I'm Mexican. My wife is American. Every time I would go to her house for her family to eat, quote unquote, tacos, it would throw me off because they would bring out all the toppings. Sour cream and lettuce and cheese. Not even good cheese, just that Mexican mix in the bag. I was like, no, you just need the meat, the salsa, a little onion and cilantro, maybe a lime. I've grown to accept those kind of tacos, and I remember now to have those toppings on hand when they come over and I'm making tacos. I hate to hear that, man. No, it's a a good husband. What's with the sour cream here? What is that? Crema? No. The, the, you know what I'm talking about, Ray. It's crema. Why do they serve like a gallon of it here on the side of everything? Yeah, I, I don't know what's up with that. Like what? Oh, that ain't right. I know we got a break, but this is important. I've been wondering this ever since I moved here. It's not right. I, I, I don't agree with it. I'm like, why do you guys need this? It's not necessary. No. Megan hey, potato, different story. Oh, mm, yeah, got to have that. Uh, yeah. Me- Megan Montemoreau is the Tribune's Cubs beat reporter, and she has been asking questions of their important people and players, and she'll tell us what she thinks as the Cubs convene camp next on The Score. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives they bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are so let instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date download the instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last minimum ten dollar per order additional term supply after the end of a good fight you deserve an ice cold reward Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. This hour is brought to you by Team Hochberg. Visit their website, 56david.com. That's 56david.com. This heater is definitely, as of right now, as advertised, it definitely plays up a little bit. Um, but 
right now is just the, you know, I say this kind of every year, just got to get to know him and then we'll take the next step when that time comes of uh, working on pitches. And I know him and Tommy and those guys have been working really hard on that already. But uh, my purpose right now is just to get to know him. That was Jan Gomes. I totally forgot about Jan Gomes. I'm like, oh yeah, Jan Gomes is good. I hope he's still good at 36? 37, I 37? think. 37? I don't know. Jan is. Gomes is unassuming dude who totally produced for your baseball team Unassuming, last year. sort of ruggedly handsome. Like, he fits right in with this whole squad. I but just, also I... can look like a dad. Yeah. What's wrong? I mean, why can't... Jan Gomes is Wait a second. Whoa, whoa, What do you mean also can look like a dad? Like, he, Wait, he puts the polo you're shirt... Saying, you're saying rugged handsomeness and being a dad are mutually exclusive? No. Yeah, you were. Don't backtrack. You were saying that. I think they're ruggedly handsome dads. There. Okay, fine. You said it. Good. Okay. Megan Montemurro is on Twitter at M underscore Montemurro. The Cubs beat writer from the Tribune joins us on the Circa Resort and Casino Hotline. Visit CircaLasVegas.com. Hello, Megan. Hello. So- <laughs> Sorry for that aside, Megan. It's just uh, Dan ate old cereal earlier, and I'm just not sure how it's going to affect his brain. I'm all good. But th- th- this brain is so messed up anyway. A little uh, expired cereal isn't going to hurt it. So, Megan, I uh, listened to your question to Jed Hoyer at the press conference, and there was then a follow-up, and I still don't think he answered it. Because the, mm-hmm. the question essentially about this roster was, if this is the roster, is it enough? And he just said, well, I like our young players. I like our young players. He didn't say yes or no. Do you think it's not enough? I, yeah, I think in terms of, like, talent, and like, proven talent and what you can expect production-wise from most of the roster, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's enough. I mean, there's a lot of upside to it. You have a lot of young players who potentially can take on – bigger roles. You have a guy like Matt Shaw, who looks like he could be a really dynamic hitter who could potentially play third base. You have Cade Horton, you know, getting to double A last year and a guy that could help the rotation at some point this season. Uh, you know, Christopher Morrell still has like another level he can reach. So yeah, like there's a lot of upside young talent, Peter Armstrong, obviously, but in terms of going into the season saying, okay, I can expect X, Y, Z, from, from, you know, most of this roster, at least the key contributors, I don't think it's really there. And, you know, Nico Horner was asked about that today of, you know, with all the free agents that are still out there, you know, is, is this team good enough? And he basically was like, yeah, I mean, that's a question we're going to have to answer and go out and show that we are better than last year and, you know, both on an individual and the team level. So this is a group that if they don't make any major additions to this roster uh, before opening day, it, you know, they're going to have a lot to prove. Oh, absolutely. And I was paying close attention to what you found notable when Jed Hoyer and Carter Hawkins spoke on Monday or Wednesday, along with Craig Council. It was the Monday for them because it was the first day of of spring training. But I noticed that that was one of the things you saw was they think that they're late in the process now in free agency. Mm -hmm. I I saw that quote about, you know, we're definitely bringing in the closer. If that's the case, I really hope it's more of a Kira Sedgwick metaphor here because you got to close some more talent in order to feel like you have any chance to compete. Yeah, I mean, I just think there's still a lot of question marks when you when you look at the lineup. Like, yes, they have a really good core that they have locked in for the next two to three years, which is, you know, what you want as an organization. But 
you know, where, where is that middle of the lineup power going to come from? You know, you needed, you know, I think they needed to add more, even if Bellinger did come back. Yep. And now you are, you're losing that production. You know, Michael Bush, you know, looks like he could be the real deal now that he's going to get an opportunity um, to show why he was uh, the PCL MVP last year. Um, but, but there's just, you, the, the upside is there, but the, the proven uh, production is not. And that can lead to a lot of variance of, of at least, especially on the offensive side of, of what they can expect and what they could get out of the lineup this year. I'm also still fascinated with how often, Dodgers prospects or just simply how many people can flourish who've been in the Dodgers either organization or just on the team because they simply do not have room. We mm-hmm. saw it with Bellinger last year. I It seems like a well that is constantly flowing for other teams because the Dodgers have hit on so many that they just don't have the room for all these people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, 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 you know, the Dodgers, a lot of teams are trying to make the Dodgers be their blueprint of – continuing to develop that top tier uh, young talent where they either help you at the major league level or you trade them and, you know, supplement and improve the roster that way. Now on the flip side of that, a key, a key component to obviously the Dodgers success is spending money on really great players where you're adding again, that proven production at the major league level to complement the young guys coming up. And so you know, again, the the Cubs have a, a lot to prove if, if this is what the roster is largely going to look like um, come opening day. And, yeah, I think those questions are fair. What are your initial impressions of Craig Council? Uh, that, you know, he totally joked, you know, on the, the first day we – we talked to him about how he's still trying to learn names. He has a little notebook um, where he's, he's trying to make sure he's getting everyone down. Um, I think he, he clearly has a vision of how things um, he wants them to run. Uh, you know, guys have talked about, you know, just some general changes. There's an emphasis on individual drills, um, you know, because spring is really the time to do that, especially, you know, the first 10 days before games start. Um, and it's really, I think, still just taking things in and getting to know guys. You know, there's a, a difference, obviously, between watching guys from the other side of the dugout and, you know, wondering how <laughs> Justin Steele makes all their the, the Brewers hitters look silly to then getting to know him on a more personal level and the rest of the players. Um, but, I, you know, talking to Julian Merriweather today, he was he was very complimentary of counsel and, and how he manages to have a role in all facets of the team, whether it's the pitching side, hitting, fundamentals, and yet, you know, he's also the manager overseeing everything too. So, you know, it sounds like it's been a smooth transition so far, and it'll be interesting to see kind of how his touch on camp manifests over the next couple weeks. What have been your observations of who's spending time at certain positions? We've already talked a lot about third base on this show. Yeah, I mean, you know, Michael Bush, you know, has experience at third base, but from what we've seen, he's been solely working uh, at first base, taking grounders, continuing to get comfortable and ready for opportunities there. Um, right now, like, you know, barring an addition, you know, it seems like it's, it's going to be, again, you know, a mix of Patrick Wisdom, Nick Madrigal, Miles Mastroboni, uh, potentially Christopher Morrell if they want to give him a look there. Though, again, you know, it sounds like they want to be moving him around and having some versatility with how they use morale. Uh, but right now, you know, it doesn't necessarily look like it's just going to be one guy. It could definitely be a platoon situation again. I still wonder about Matt Chapman. You know, there's these names yeah. that are, that are kind of floating around out there. And I, and I wonder if, if, 
it's hard to talk to in- individual players about the remaining free agents that are sort of still still orbiting the Cubs world right now. And I guess they can't really think about that. But it, we could get a week in here and then all of a sudden they, they're going to sign somebody who just pushes everybody down a slot. Yeah. And, you know, this is something I asked uh, Carter Hawkins um, at Cubs convention last month. You know, they have so many young guys reaching the upper levels of the minors. And, you know, it, it, it's a balancing act, basically, Carter said, about wanting to give young guys real opportunities to reach the majors, have an opportunity to, to impact the big league team, while also understanding, you know, there there are players out there that could potentially be more uh, – more helpful in in the immediate um so it's a balance of not trying to block guys but also you know their job is to try and find ways to make this team better and so it it, it really is a tough balancing act especially when you look around um the field in particular position player wise like there's really not that many paths uh to playing time for younger guys coming up when you know you have you obviously have half and Suzuki in the corner uh outfield spots you know Swanson Nico up the middle uh, Gomes and Amaya behind the plate, like there, there's just not too many paths, and so it is a balance between do do they go get somebody like Matt Chapman, who obviously could have a really big impact immediately, or do you go the more platoon route and see, you know, does Matt Shaw come up at some point this summer um, and help them, you know, in, in that regard? So you know, I don't. There's clearly not a, a clear cut answer either way, but that's certainly something that they take into account as well. You wrote an article and. It's from the Tribune, of course, four takeaways from the first day of Chicago Cubs camp, including young talent as, quote, the currency of baseball. And to me, that indicated that you're seeing a mission statement take place. And maybe that's more also along the lines of Carter Hawkins' influence as well, or at least their decision to hire him from Cleveland, who is known for hitting on young baseball talent. They, they are the best or one of the best when it comes to assessment. What were your takeaways from that and have you seen some sort of mission statement really take place here and and maybe it's just their excuse for not wanting to pay for free agents I don't know I mean I do think that there is an element of organizational philosophy of that I mean you look back to the last day of the season in Milwaukee Tom Ricketts talked to the writers that were there and you know he referenced too that you know they they had a core and have a core in place um, and that they want to give young guys opportunities and you know even going back to when Theo and Jed first came in, you know, a, a decade ago, um, you know, the, the talk of sustained success that they don't just want to get to the playoffs once, at, once in a while, they want to be getting there every year. And that comes down to, you have to be developing young talent. And, you know, you saw the, the ripple effect of, of that pipeline not paying off when, you know, they traded away, you know, Chris Bryan, Rizzo, Javi, um, when those guys, you know, also tapped out a certain level at the major league level, like it, I definitely think there is an organizational um, emphasis of, you know, they have to be developing top talent. They have, those guys have to get to the majors. They have to become major contributors, obviously not all of them, but they need to have enough that they can go pay for some through either big money and free agency. If they go guy, after guys like on uh, deals like Nancy Swanson, or you're doing what the Dodgers do and trading that young talent um, for proven big leaguers. So, yeah, I do think it's a, a very real thing of, you know, young players being valuable currency in the game. And, you know, the, the Cubs have, I think, definitely 
made clear that, that, that they value that. One thing clear in talking to Craig Council, too, is he understands the, the direction that pitching staffs are going in baseball, that maybe even understanding that eventually the concept of starting pitcher and relief pitcher will be more fungible, that we're not there yet. But he is keenly aware of the third time through the order penalty as most of the league is now and what that means about the way leverage changes in a game. Do you think we'll see in the construction of the staff, his philosophy about some increased versatility in some of these arms? Yeah, I think he, he certainly values versatility. He does not want to necessarily pigeonhole certain relievers into certain roles. You know, I would not be surprised to see potentially a guy like Hector Neris used in the seventh inning or even, you know, in a safe situation in the ninth. You know, I, I think you're seeing that across a lot of teams now where, you know, there's not just one set closer. There's not one set setup guy. Um, and you've seen how council, how well he run, he ran bullpens in Milwaukee and how often that was the strength of that team. And I think to get to that point, you do have to be creative sometimes. And especially, you know, you don't want this bullpen burning out again at the end of the season. So that means you have to be deliberate and maybe staying away from a, a guy that you might want to use, even if it, if you think it's a big game or you really want to get that win. It's certainly a balancing act. You know, I think it'll help that, you know, depending on how they want to construct the bullpen, you know, they have so many guys that can either pitch multiple innings, you know, thinking of Javier Assad, Drew Smiley, Hayden Wisniewski, guys who show that they can both start and, you know, be in those important swing roles. There's a lot of different creative ways that they can go in and building this pitching staff. And I think it also really helps that they have four really solid starters that they know that they can count on um, and, and find opportunities to push them uh, when they need to. Javier Assad is one that I think about. I feel like he did a good job proving himself and his value this year. But Hayden Wisniewski is one where I'm, I'm wondering about the season that he's going to have and the development that he had last year. What do you think about just where he is when it comes to expectation and what we can see him do at the big league level this year? Yeah, I, I think I think he had a really important learning year last year between you know some struggles as a starter, finding some success in a relief role. Um, you know, council indicated yesterday that guys that have been starters will at least build up as starters in camp and then they'll go from there in terms of how they want to use them going into the season but yeah he can really fill you know a variety of roles for them it'll be interesting to see if they want him uh to be at triple a starting you know every fifth day as as important depth there do they think his stuff plays better in a multi-inning role out of the bullpen where he can help them, you know, right, in, right at the onset of the season. Um, yeah, he's, he's, again, in that mix where they have a lot of different options where they can get creative. And it, and it sounds like with Shota Imanaga that, you know, especially early in the season that they're going to look for ways to, you know, build in an extra day of rest. Um, so, you know, maybe they, they need to have a, a guy in the bullpen that can make a spot start or two early in the year. So they, they certainly have a lot of different options between Wisniewski, Assad, you know, Jordan Wicks, Drew Smiley. You know, their depth is in, a, is in a pretty solid place. What you said about the Cubs and valuing young players and this mantra of young players, developing players being the currency of the game, absolutely true. And I'm wondering where that leaves Mike Talkman, because last year he mattered 
He was he was a, one of these glue guys, and I'm not just talking about the the catch that changed changed their pre-deadline trajectory in St. Louis. Is that he he got some big hits? He put the bat on the ball when they needed. But he's 33. This is not a young player who ideally you would want him supplanted by somebody you know, under this long-term contract control who you're developing in your organization. So how can they be true to what they're saying about young players and also value what Talkman does for them? Because I think you, you need to have guys that can handle that part-time role, which, you know, depending on what happens with Bellinger or, you know, whether they want, you know, Pete Armstrong to, to start the year in AAA and, and get off to a good start and then bring him up, like, you're still going to need, you know, a fourth or fifth outfielder depending on how they build uh, the roster on the position player side. And, and those guys have a lot of value. Like, it is not easy not being in the lineup every day. Like, you have to learn how to be able to mentally handle that, how to get your prep work in, uh, especially if you're pinch hitting late in the game, which he started doing late later in the season for, for PCA. Um, and so that's, that's, that's not an easy role. And you, need, you still need some of those veteran guys who can not only help help younger ones um, in the clubhouse, but also step up in those moments. Um, and and Topman, you know, he's a great clubhouse guy. You know, he understands what he does really well and what he needs to do to have success. And so, you know, a guy like that, if you put him in the right position, he should be able to produce for you. And and so, you know, it's, it's good to have those kind of complement of players on the roster. Megan Montemurro, outstanding stuff. Look forward to talking again soon. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. That is Megan Montemurro of the Chicago Tribune, a a baseball story that I find uproariously funny. Maybe you do, too. And this is to juxtapose a a city's response to an underwhelming, unlikable baseball team that's very different than this city's response to an underwhelming, unlikable baseball team. That's next. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Dan Bernstein, Lawrence Holmes, Middays 10 to 2 on 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. Headliner, obviously, was the Oakland relocation vote. Um, I want to start with just a little bit of the process that led us here. Um, There was an effort over more than a decade uh, to find a stadium solution in Oakland. It was John Fisher's preference. It was my preference. No, it As a matter of fact, the no. first trip I made Liar. after I was elected commissioner was to Oakland. No, you're all lying. Stop lying. Because nobody's pre- preference was to kowtow to whatever Fisher and Caval wanted as they screwed over a city because they wanted to bail for Vegas because they thought Vegas would want them and Vegas doesn't want them. And they were able to grease everybody's uh, pockets and wet their beaks enough to ramrod through a, a, a semi-agreement to get a stadium built that nobody wants. And 
they're not even sure that's going to happen. She doesn't even go here. <laughs> that, that's that is the truth on that one. It's Rob Manfred talking about the Oakland Athletics bailing for Las Vegas. It is a disaster. The entire thing is a complete disaster. And I love what the Oakland mayor is doing. I love it. And rather than than everybody just being acting obsequiously because it's sports, Vegas isn't doing that for the most part. And the Vegas mayor, Goodman, even just recently, Oscar Goodman's wife is now the mayor. What's, I for, and I forgot her first name. I'm sorry. I, I should know it. But I don't. Is Caroline? That she basically said, we're not quite sure what's going on. No one actually told them they were wanted here. And they might want to explore going back to Oakland. So <laughs> there is a piece that was written by Mark Normandon in his newsletter. He writes for Baseball Prospectus. <laughs> and he just said, if you've been following along with the athletic search for a stadium to play baseball in during the years in which the supposed hypothetical Vegas stadium is being built, you know it's not going well. John Fisher's A's no longer have a lease with the city of Oakland after 2024. And then playing outside the Bay Area until 28, when the supposed hypothetical Vegas stadium is finished, would cost them their regional television contract, which pays them $67 million a year. So they would lose that. The easiest solution in theory is for the A's to agree with Oakland on a lease extension. It allows them to stick around until it's actually time to leave. The in-theory part is because Fisher and Caval nuked that bridge from orbit with Rob Manfred's help over the summer, blaming Oakland for not trying to keep them in town, not seriously negotiating, and for the fact that the team had to leave in the first place. So here's the reaction. This is the spokesperson for Oakland's mayor. To my great shock, the A's have once again failed to provide anyone in Oakland clarity on their genius baseball plans. Damn! Wait. To date, they have not contacted or requested an extension to their lease from the mayor, Alameda County, the Joint Powers Agency that oversees the Coliseum Complex, and perhaps most importantly, from the fans. Luckily... We make more money with one exhibition soccer game at the Coliseum than we do throughout the entire A's season. Damn! So they won't be missed. See, that's where you put the DJ air horn in at the end. (laughs) We make more with one exhibition soccer game. How about that? Wow! So there was a meeting yesterday. That is, <laughs> that's how you do it. They're genius baseball plans. So yesterday, Oakland officials met with A's officials to try to hash things out. So this is after the meeting. So we can get more quotes. And, you know, frankly, the Vegas mayor also, what she said on the record, this woman volunteered the whole city to be the test group to get COVID, if you recall. So for her to come out like this and say that we don't want the A's also, I thought was pretty notable. They had this meeting yesterday, and this is Tim Keown and uh, ESPN. The mayor's made it clear the city will expect assurances from Major League Baseball that a lease extension will be coupled with an assurance that an MLB team, whether the A's or an expansion team, makes its home in Oakland. Whether it's the A's under the current ownership, the A's under a new owner, or the A's brand in expansion, 
Oakland A's fans are voters in the city of Oakland, and they want a major league team, according to the spokesperson for the mayor. It is our obligation to negotiate on their behalf. This is a major league city, and if we extend the lease three years without a significant long-term commitment, we will have failed at our task. The lease extension is much more in the A's interest than ours at this point. So Rob Manfred is apparently going to get involved. Oh, great. And Manfred, the first thing that Manfred said was, we do have a major league team in the Bay Area. It's not like there's not an available option. The Giants obviously still play there. You talk about not understanding baseball. That's not what we're talking about here. Right. And as Normandon points out, asking A's fans to just root for the Giants is like ripping the Mets out of New York and telling the fans at least they still have the Yankees or telling Chicago Southsiders that, hey, the Cubs are right there on the north side of town. Get over it. That's not happening. This is awesome. And the, and the Why does he hate baseball so much? I know that's another segment in our show today. I know. But to be so purposefully tone deaf. Mm-hmm. That's it's what he's done, and then and then when, when he says, "Oh, I'm going to retire because I'm having too much fun," well, clearly, obviously, you're it, having a ton of fun. You know, it's just cruel. Like the lack of empathy toward people who actually love the product that you represent is cruel. Like calling the World Series trophy a hunk of metal, that's cruel to the players who try to compete for it. And like this is. Just because you care about having a team in Las Vegas does not mean your want is the only one that matters. The great Piece thing of metal. is, for, for those of us who can find little moments in which to root for chaos, I'm not a, a nihilist or an anarchist often. I, I'm more comfortable in structure and continuity and you ate cereal that expired two years ago this morning on the air we're not talking about that right now and it was fine i'm fine right now it's just cereal it wasn't expired fish okay continue so i'm rooting for chaos here yeah i'm rooting for total failure i am rooting for fisher and david cavall to be humiliated to be absolutely humiliated. Is it chaos or is it just the consequence of their actions and them expecting everybody to bow down to their wishes? That's entitlement. I guess it's both. They're finding out that they are being held accountable. Just like F around and, and find out. The find out part of some of this stuff is always really fun, is really satisfying. It's just accountability. But I wish the fans weren't in the middle of it. I wish so many well-meaning fans weren't being abused in all of this, which even so, it's going to be cold comfort if this thing somehow crashes and burns. But, hey, if they end up with an expansion franchise that gets to keep the history of the team, they can start from scratch, keep all the history, keep the uniforms, keep everything else, and keep being the Oakland Athletics and it's just new names, new faces, and a chance to to grow some new green shoots of success. Maybe that's the best possible outcome. A la the Browns? Yes, that's absolutely the best possible outcome. In fact, that's the one that suits all parties, frankly. It should have been the outcome in Houston if they had known to fight for it or oh, for cared the to. Yeah. Yes, if they had cared to fight for it.
that should have been the outcome. Tennessee has its own culture that people celebrate all the time. How great would it be if instead of the Texans, they were just the Oilers still? It, that would be awesome. When you grow up somewhere, you just you know more about a place. Like I, I've learned and, and listened here as much as possible, but still understand that I don't always know about a place. And, and the, the sweat that people put in you know, and the way they had to make a living on rigs, going away from your family for a long time and the actual work. There was there was pride in that name for a lot of people. I never really thought about it that way. I mean, that's there, it. There, I were, mean, there were there were oil, the people who were oilers. There are people who work on rigs yeah. to this day who make a lot of sacrifices and you get hazard pay for a reason. It is not safe. And that to me, you know, to those people that means a lot. Not to mention the culture of the team and what they stood for in the face of a lot of things that weren't always culturally celebrated at the time. And I feel like the A's have a lot of uh, celebration of culture as well and personality and, and identity. Yes. And, and count, don't forget the, the great World Series, the three-peat A's teams of the 70s, they were wearing long hair yes. and facial hair when other teams were not. That's and you weren't the point. supposed yeah. to. And they were embraced, you know, with guys like, you know, Joe Rudy and, and you know, the young Reggie Jackson. That those and I always tell these stories like when when we used to play micro league baseball, those were always the teams I would play. I I loved the early seventies A's. Not, not more after the fact because I was too young to appreciate them at the time. But when I used to watch old film of them and just see their their mix of personalities and the the fact that you had you know what is it three twenty game winners at one point when that when we thought that mattered and I I just people don't realize that young Reggie Jackson was not the same as like Yankees and Angels era Reggie Jackson, what he was able to do and how fast he was and, and, and how spectacular. And he was like one of the real first baseball TV era superstars and knew it. They were, they were damn cool is what they were. And the fact that it's just going to be gone sucks. That's it to me. It's, it's the concept of understanding what you're representing, who and why. And, that would be the best solution for any expansion franchise. 350 million people live in this country and you can't come up with another name for a team that resides in a completely different place? Yeah, you can. I think, I think you could probably figure that out. If the new place actually wanted you, it might be a little bit easier to have that partnership. But they, they don't, and no one's going to be there. And if you don't want to own the team, find someone who does. That's Layla Rahimi in for Lawrence Holmes. I'm Dan Bernstein, and High Noon is coming up. And I think the runway is finally clear for the High Noon story I've been trying to bring you for three days. I think it is, too. Good. Additionally, I don't know how many times we have to explain to people, you are not going to outsmart nature. Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. I'll be back this way on Monday. We'll settle this then. Right there, out in the street, in front of the Palace Saloon. Yeah, right. When? High noon? Time for High Noon, your last one of the week. So what have we discussed? Well, the first hour was very Bears-heavy, talking about the release of Eddie Jackson. We heard what Jalen Johnson had to say, but his feelings about his 
Defensive backfield mate and mentor Brad Biggs' thoughts on how to replace him. And then the Cody Whitehair release and how, for me, it's really highlighted this idea of how much center matters. And his bad snaps were really bad. He was a, he was a really good bear. He was a Pro Bowl player for a while and a versatile, important player. Both were significant. Also, these are Ryan Pace guys who are gone now. And that changeover, that turnover matters. Megan Montemurro gave us the latest on the Cubs as training camp started. And then we're having some fun with the Oakland mayor's response to her nemeses with the Oakland A's as they're now coming crawling back looking for a place to play. And the city says, nah, we don't really want Nope, this is your time. I'll take what's left. But this isn't how it's supposed to work. You're supposed to like keep talking, and then I say, "Well, I, I can't do the story now because we've I've run out of time." No, this is no. We broke on time. We did all the right I things. Know. I know we did. So hit break on time. There are two ways to cool the water that's used to to cool reactors in in a nuclear power plant. One is the famous cooling towers. Do you draw the little six-pointed soft star there with overlapping ovals on them? You just like the Simpsons, you just draw it on. You can if you like. That, that, that would be Three Mile Island, which I will admit now that I've flown into Harrisburg multiple times and is right by the runway as you land in Harrisburg and you see that, those of us of a certain age oh. who remember the Three Mile Island cooling towers over the news anchors' shoulders talking about scary things and meltdowns to China and we're all going to be irradiated, can be scary stuff. But the other way is by using canals where the water is simply sent out and distributed in the canals around. And that is what is done in Florida. Outside of Naples, they have a nuclear power plant there. And for years, and I had never known this, for years at this nuclear site... There are crocodiles there, some 400 of them. How did they get there? They found an egg. This is what I can't figure out. Somebody found a crocodile egg there in 1978. Found or did they plant it? Which, interestingly, was right around the time of the nuclear scare of Three Mile Island, which I think was 79, yes, right? Yes, it was 79. So the population, just because of exactly how the environment is there with all the warm water that makes it like their native areas in Australia. and other, There are some native crocodiles. They just have they haven't been able to thrive like alligators have for, for whatever reasons. And yeah, alligators have definitely won that battle. So you have well, they've survived for. So many thousands of years, but it's called the Turkey Point Nuclear Generating Station. And it has just become now a crocodile conservation area where they take very good care of them. It isn't random. It is a managed population with scientists to they they believe it's a positive impact. And they have now, because of their population growth, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife has now called them a threatened species instead of endangered and they they tag them they check on them they check on their health in the cooling canals and yet i keep getting back to this 
Are nuclear crocodiles a good idea or a bad idea? That's where I am. I'm like, so you mean to tell me that radioactive crocodiles are thriving? Nobody knows how they got there. They're not necessarily radioactive. They're not necessarily, but it's awful close. You know, somebody throws a bad switch or somebody has a bad day and releases maybe a little bit of the tritium water or whatever it is into the canals. Then what are we doing? Radioactive crocodiles. They might as well glow green. As it's how we as get I'm Godzilla. Concerned. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, didn't we learn our lesson here through every video game comic this book? This is the whole point of Godzilla. Yeah, you the don't whole mix. Thing. You yeah. don't mix reptiles and nuclear things. Or it is revisited upon you as a consequence of trying to control nature. Okay. Please tell me, and you know how I love Texas Monthly, okay? We know that. It, it birthed the famous queso mac and cheese that I was making for the Super Bowl that had chorizo. Ooh, ooh you're burying the lead. No, I'm not literally burying the lead because that's the thing that Shane asked me what I was making for for Super Bowl like four times in a segment. Where, isn't Tanny in the room back there? He didn't laugh at that. He's laughing. Tanny's in the capsule. He's laughing. So the headline from Texas Monthly said, his best friend was a warthog. It tried to kill him. This, uh... Well, then maybe it wasn't his best no, friend. No, but this is a long read, okay? But it, it's an article talking about a guy named Austin Riley who had been near death before as a child. And he lived on a ranch with his family, and they had some exotic animals. One of them was a warthog. And he befriended animals because he was not living a typical childhood because he was having to go to the hospital for treatments for other things. And this warthog even liked listening to sports radio, according to the article. I've had bad fans since Virgil Kiner. But the point (laughs) is, the warthog was a companion until one day it was not. And then it tried to gore him. And warthogs have specifically designed Uh tusks that are so powerful that not only is the penetration wound bad, yep. taking it out is even worse. And and it, it is infected and, yeah, yeah. And so this poor man who had survived death a few times as a child, who had bonded with what was near him, nearly was killed again in a horrid accident, accident about goring. It was goring from this warthog. And the face of a warthog is also particularly terrifying if you look at it head on. And the warthog was named Waylon for Waylon Jennings, which, man, why are you doing that to Waylon? That's not very fair. 250 pounds. So it says Texas Hill Country. Where is that? Hill Country is essentially west of I-35. So that's a, you know, maybe like 20 miles east, but west until you get to like everything that's flat, the plains. So that's Austin, Bernie, where Johnny Manziel is from. Beautiful country in my mind. Um... San Antonio is the hill country, so... But a warthog is not to be confused with a feral hog. Where no, there's... feral hog is a totally different deal. It doesn't have the same kind of tusks, doesn't have the same kind of, like, attacking mechanism. Feral hogs are mean, and they're definitely hunted in the state of Texas, but this was an actual warthog. And, unfortunately, it, it just goes to say, for the nine millionth time, a la Tiger King, which my boss was on, is that... Well, bearing the lead here. Your boss was on Tiger King? Yeah, my boss was on Tiger King. She told the we story. all knew about the, the GW in Winniewood. We that's all knew about it. A, the exotic amazing. animal ranch. Where 
I don't know, like, PETA, for all the things they protest, why are you not protesting people owning tigers like that? That seems like one that the animal rights activists could easily agree on. If there's one thing that I learned from Tiger Keen, it's that it's way too easy to get a tiger in this It is, country. and I don't know well, why that isn't them, higher on their list. They got one of them. They got, they got the, the weirdo Doc Antle. The, that, the, the big blonde-haired guy, he, all of they, those they, they people, put him away. By the way, all of those people are sociopaths. Yeah, of course. If, if it's one like, thing that I learned from Tiger King, it's meth. Well, see, again, having worked in small towns in Texas, that's something I knew very quickly, unfortunately. What about the guy at the end that was wearing, like, seven jackets? Did they ever get that guy? I think they might have. I think he just exists. Seven jackets. Yeah, don't you remember that oh, guy? Oh, yeah. Didn't he wear like a lot of affliction and whatnot? Yeah, yeah but he always had a yeah. bunch of jackets on. All these people are normal to me where I'm Jackie from. Jacket guy. Jacket anyway, machine. The bottom line is it's a very compelling read. It's also Sag sad machine. because of why he bonded with the warthog. But at the end of the day, stop befriending wild animals that can kill you. Bonded with a warthog. Wow, that was, I did not see that coming. Like these crocodiles, these radioactive crocodiles, don't be friends with them. They're going to kill you. Kevin Fishbane will be kind to us so we can be friends with him. He's not radioactive as far as we know, and he'll have thoughts on the Bears roster moves and more. He might be in a bad mood. Northwestern basketball lost by three last yeah, night to Rutgers. It's true. He's next. The score! Kevin Fishbane. I got fishy business. Okay, Fishbane. Fishy business? Fishy business. Well, I call him whenever I have him on the show. Fishy business. Bears beat writer for The Athletic. I just try to work hard and tell good stories. I should also note, I know the sports caster of the year for Illinois is no longer covering Illinois team, and I am not leaving to cover the Detroit Lions. All right, well, good. Kevin Fishbane talking Bears. Hey, Kevin. Uh, Kevin Fishbane from The Athletic. I love your name. It's a great name. Yeah, great name. On Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. I believe Ray Diaz called our next guest the only fish you need if you're observing Lent. Because this guy's got you covered. <laughs> I don't know. It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing the second time. Hey, man, I, I grew up, I'm Mexican, so I grew up Catholic, so I can make those jokes, you know? Kevin How do you Fishbane feel about that, Kevin? <laughs> is on Twitter at K Fishbane, the Bears writer for The Athletic, is with us on the Circa Resort and Casino Hotline, CircaLasVegas.com, and twitch.tv slash Chicago670 to score. What's up, Kevin? How are you? What's up? That's a new one, but I trust Ray with everything, so I love it. Wow. I, I appreciate the circle of trust here. I feel like we're a happy, functional show. We've, we, we t- I think, spent our first hour talking about. Eddie Jackson and Cody Whitehair, and I think it's respective of how much time they've spent successfully with the Bears. Kevin, this is these are two significant players on a and two significant roster cuts. Yeah, yeah. I remember when we talked to Eddie Jackson ahead of the 2022 season, I kept thinking about um the the Fresh Prince of Bel Air gif with Will Smith staying alone in the room looking around. Like that was Eddie. In, in the locker room, like everybody was gone, especially after the Roquan Smith trade. And, you know, the same could be said kind of for Cody Whitehair, just everybody was gone. And those two survived a lot of changes from coaches to GMs to coordinators to teammates around them, and, and they withstood it. And, you know, I I, th- I felt like the conversation about them is almost more nostalgic, you know, because I don't, we obviously expected these moves. They're kind of the right moves when you look at the cap situation and, what those guys were going to schedule to make next year. Um, but look, when when the Bears were at their best in the past decade, 
you look at that 2018 season and Eddie Jackson was unbelievable that year. And Cody Whitehair was a Pro Bowl alternate and, and had one of his best seasons. So, you know, I, I think it's just kind of the official closing the door of that era. And, and now it's kind of wild that among the starters, the longest tenured player on the team is Cole Komet. I mean, that's it. And that tells you everything. And he's he's one guy who this regime actually extended before the season, as we know. When it comes to, I think, Eddie Jackson, one of the things that I thought was more impressive, and I said it earlier, was that he did play better after having a couple of seasons where there was a downward trajectory. And then, you know, he talked all about Jaquan Brisker helping, uh, you know, wanting to help him. And I made the joke that, yeah, because it takes some of the responsibility off of Eddie. But it really did work out in a positive way for everyone. Yeah, I mean, Layla, if Eddie doesn't get hurt in 2022, he's probably going to the Pro Bowl that year. He had four interceptions, and he really bought in to what Matt Eberflus was selling. And, and, you know, when you looked at how much money he was making, he could have kind of been like, look, man, you're stuck with me. I'm making all this money. I'm just going to do what I want. And that's not what he did. You know, he would invite Jaquan Brisker to his house to to work with him, to to watch film, to train. Uh, he was just the, the he really flipped a switch, I think, from the Eddie we saw when things were really struggling for him, 2019, 20, and 21. Just a different guy in 2022. And this year, he was just the guy, and, and you guys have seen this as people who've gone through locker rooms. You always have that one play you can just count on, win or loss, that you could just talk to, whether it's on the record, off the record. And he became that guy this year for us. So we're obviously gonna have a little bias to that. Um, and it was weird that as the defense took off. He only had that one interception in Cleveland. Um, but, you know, yeah, I, I think that his play improved when Ibrufus got here. And, and it's testament to, to him and, and to his professionalism. And, and yeah, I mean, it's uh, it was an outstanding career he had here in Chicago. I'm not sure why I think this, but I, I don't think the Bears are going to have a difficult time replacing Eddie Jackson. I'm actually confident that they're going to find somebody good enough or, or, or really good at that spot. I can't say I feel the same about the center position simply because it is a function of having a defensive-minded head coach and having this much turnover on the offensive side of the ball. I don't know what Shane Waldron values. I don't know what positions are important to him as he prioritizes the way he envisions the offense. And I'm just, I don't know how those conversations are, are going to occur. Is that fair to have these concerns? Yeah, I think so, Daniel. The similarity of the two positions are they are both in that kind of middle range when it comes to, if like in, in free agency, for example. I think Antoine Winfield's the guy at safety. But after that, like you're not talking about big money. When you look at the centers in free agency, you're not talking about having to spend a ton of money to get one of the best centers available. You go to the draft, you know, there's a one or two guys who might go at the end of the first round at center, but otherwise these are positions you're looking at in day two in the second or third round, and you can find a guy who can start for you. So in the one hand, they're, they're important positions, but they're not ones you, you should need to spend premium resources. The other thing though is they're two of the bears biggest needs. Right. So, and they have the resources what they want to splurge. And do something they can. Yeah, I'm interested to meet. We're supposed to meet Shane Waldron next week. And that may be something that comes up. You know, what what are some of the things he looks for? Because we kind of had 
a bit of a mold of the offensive lineman they liked the last two years. I would imagine it's pretty similar because I think the scheme is pretty similar. It's the same offensive line coach. Um, but that's something we'll learn because that, like, you can make the argument that if you, depending on what you feel about Braxton Jones, like, you can go full optimism and say, hey, I, I really like what Braxton Jones is doing. We love Tevin Jenkins when he's healthy. Nate Davis, full offseason, you know, healthy, uh, had a obviously a rocky year. We can maybe see what his potential is. And we know what Darnell Wright is. You could be one piece away. Like, again, that's the, kind of the full optimistic view of that offensive line, which makes you feel good. Like, that's the one spot. It's an important spot, but the Bears do have the resources to put a lot into that if they want to. Isn't the uh, Seahawks center a free agent? Isn't that a possibility? Yes, I believe so. And, and, and that's the thing too, Layla, with the centers. Like I've, I've gone through the list and like they're all fine players. Like you're not going to necessarily get a pro bowler there. You don't, but again, you don't need to. Just get somebody who understands this scheme, is going to work well with the quarterback, is going to make the right calls at the line, uh, and is going to just kind of fill in and not be a liability. Right. Like you just you don't need to get you don't need to get the best guy. You can get someone that's really solid and serviceable. And, and frankly, that's what when Cody Whitehair was his best, that's what he was. He was just a good, solid, reliable, durable player. And I don't think anybody's questioning either one of these moves. I say Eddie Jackson's time came to an appropriate end. Cody Whitehair's time came to an appropriate end. You don't always get to say that in the NFL, but to me nobody's clamoring for those guys to necessarily stay. It's more of like an appreciation and a mutual parting. Yeah, for sure. You know, look, I mean, with the Cody Whitehair thing, we knew it when he got benched, like that was it. He was done. Um, with Eddie, there might've been a pause just because, you know, Cody had already lost his starting spot. So you, you knew regardless of what they were going to do with him, they had to go find a starting center. But Eddie, you can kind of hem and haw a little bit and say, well, they do have the cap space. Do they try to, renegotiate do they try to bring him back on a smaller salary but you know eddie himself i mean he can just go get a one-year deal from a contending team that has the type of scheme that's going to play well for him and get more money than the bears would be willing to pay him so yeah you know you, you could have sit there and, and thought well he means so much to that room as a leader um could we you know he is a starter but yeah it, i don't think anybody's sitting there kind of upset that they made these moves on another subject, this is one of those things where maybe I'm the only one who thinks this, but in the conversation that Kevin Warren had with Jared Payton, it was a little more football opinion-y than I expected when asked about Justin Fields. And, of course, he's the president of the team. I'm not saying he isn't entitled to give us his football thoughts. I was a little surprised that he chose to, sort of like when, when, a, when an appellate court decides to take up a case. Or not. They can very easily not take up the case, and they can just kick it back, and the decision stands. And in this case, Kevin Warren could have said, well, for right now, these football questions, these are Ryan Poles is in full command of everything we are doing from a roster perspective, and he knows that I am always here for him if he has a question, but these are, these are all his decisions. He didn't do that. And I'm not saying his actual opinion itself is, is meaningful. I did think his willingness to discuss football things was significant. Did you? Uh, yeah, Dan, I don't, I don't think you're alone in that. I think it's been very hard to gauge where Kevin Warren is at in terms of football decisions. I think he's involved in everything. Um, but 
then again, you know, I think we, we talked about this a month ago, right? We kind of were wondering if he was going to be the one, he was going to be this wild card that made this drastic change to the football side of things with the coach. And he chose to kind of, he didn't. And that, and, and things stayed the same at, at the head coaching level. So it, it's kind of this back and forth and maybe he's still trying to get his feel for what that role is and how it football involved he was. But no, I was a little surprised because again, it, we just, I just don't know how much, how much football he's going to talk. It, it's a, it's an odd position because I think when he came in to replace Ted Phillips, there was a lot of nodding like, yes, this makes sense. This guy is very qualified um, for what they need and had more, you know, had plenty of experience in front offices. So you've thought maybe he could be more football minded. The flip side of that is it's not like he, he didn't play football. He's never, you know, he hasn't been a scout. Um, so you, you know, I'm, I remember asking him at his introductory press conference, you, I, I wanted to know like, what is your role in these football decisions? And, you know, he said he wanted to be a sounding board and he wanted to know, understand everything. And that's fine. I mean, that's his, that's his position, but yeah, Dan, I think it was like, I, He's just hard to read. I mean, he's a, he's a politician, right? We just, it's just really hard to, to gather what the motive was with some of those things he said about Justin Fields. I also think that when it comes to Warren's being public right now, it's not just about his leadership. It's not just that he's there. This is what he's doing. It's that the timing of him being public and being in interviews also coincides with what we're seeing happen in the courts. It's recently decided about the tax evaluation, or at least partially. The process is moving along for Arlington Heights. And I think the Bears think that there has to be some some credibility there when it comes to this is the person deciding our future with our venue. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, and again, it goes back to this idea that he's a politician. There's a lot of politicking that goes along with this stadium situation. I think also for all of us, we're just getting used to this because we didn't see this from the former president, right? Right. Like we heard from Ted at the end of the year and that was pretty much it. And that was the way he liked it. That was the way the Bears liked it. Um, I kind of liked when Ted talked because sometimes he would go off the cuff and you get some really good quotes. He would definitely him. talk about football. Yes. And you know, it's, um. so this is different. This is somebody that welcomes the camera, um, you know, welcomes the opportunity to talk. And it's something that we're all just trying to get used to. And we're all trying to read the tea leaves and what it means. But I do think that you kind of hit it there that there's an important stadium decision that he wants to be done this year. And there's a lot of real politicians involved and he is the bears politician. He's working behind the scenes and in front of the camera to try to get that all done. When did you say the Waldron availability was? And and within that answer, what is your timetable for heading in toward the combine of the draft? Yeah, Dan, so we're expecting to hear from Shane Waldron and Eric Washington next week, okay. as all things, everything is always fluid with that kind of stuff. And then at the com the next week, we're at the combine. It's amazing, you know, this offseason – it's two weeks after Super Bowl, and then you're in Indianapolis, and you're right into it. And we'll talk to Ryan Poles there. We'll talk to Matty Brafus there, and then it'll be the Caleb Williams show. Uh, and then we come back, and you get one week before free agency, uh, and and then and then suddenly it's owners' meetings and draft time. So it's you know, re relax next week for football people because once once the combine starts, it's really full go through the draft. For all the stuff and obviously the bears are just the center of the nfl universe so that combine will be very interesting to hear what ryan poles says about what if any decisions have been made i'm sure there won't be by the time we talk to him 
what he's going to be interested in hearing from some of these quarterbacks. And as we learned last year, the most important conversations that he will have when it comes to trade talks are probably going to take place at the combine. So we won't hear those. We won't see those, but that's where that stuff get that. That's kind of the origin spot um, for, for those conversations. I also feel like it's where, you know, somebody's stock is going to dramatically rise. I'm just trying to figure out who. Yeah. So my lukewarm take Layla is that JJ McCarthy is going to be a top 10 pick. And that might not be scorching. This year's Will Levis. Just, I mean, Josh Lucas, just listen to the way he talked about him. There are a lot of scouts who feel that way. Yeah, I've I've talked to a couple of people who just who are, you know, know this stuff. And, and it seems like he's the type of guy that's going to like blow GMs away uh, when these conversations start and head coaches. I don't I just think the way that Michigan team was built, we never really saw like his full potential as a thrower. He's 21. Um, and yeah, I just think that he's the type of guy that is, that people are going to get, that coaches and GMs are going to get really excited about through this process. And I still think he's probably the fourth quarterback, but I could see him being in the top 10. So I could see him in a combine setting where you really don't learn much about what the quarterback's throwing, but you'll start to hear some leaks where you'll find out, oh, he really won so-and-so team over um and, you know look and i think we've heard a lot of good things about all i mean this is an incredible quarterback class um from both skill level and just you keep hearing things about these guys as people that they're just going to be like Jaden daniel same thing like i think you're, you're going to hear a lot of good things about him coming off the combine so yeah but but the the guy that i'm very very curious about where he gets drafted is mccarthy kevin fishbane great stuff thank you all right take care that's Thanks, kevin, kevin fishbane sorry i stepped I just said thanks. It's okay. I know, but still, I shouldn't. I should be, I know that you usually say thanks, and I should be aware of that, but instead I was looking at my promo sheet because the Parkins and Spiegel Show is hosting a QB1 town hall next Wednesday from 2 to 6 p.m. in front of a live studio audience at the Blue Cross Blue Shield Performance Stage. You have a chance to win your way in now. Callers 6, 7, and 8 to the score contest line, 312-540-0670 will have the opportunity to have their voice heard. It matters. It matters deeply. Well, sometimes they're just on the text line. In the Bears' QB1 debate as the offseason begins, you can also register by visiting 670thescore.com slash contests. That's the QB1 Town Hall with Parkins and Spiegel Wednesday from 2 to 6 p.m. Next up, we'll play Where in the World is Marshall Harris? I believe he's in Glendale at Sox Camp. So we'll talk to him. When we come back on the score, Bernstein and Holmes, your midday destination for Chicago sports talk on 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. We mentioned yesterday, I'm not sure to you, but we we're talking people that the, the projections towards your team are not <laughs> very kind. I think Bakota has you 65 and a half wins. Do you pay much attention to that? I don't really until we come, we come out with 0.00 chance of making the playoffs, right? And, you know, that motivates the heck out of me. Uh, I, know it, I know it's a little bit of a talk in there. It's, it's, uh, you know, this is a division that, you know, obviously nobody's scheduled to run away with it. Why not us, right? You want me to answer that, Pedro? Why not you? Because you're terrible. Your team is absolute bottom of the barrel. That's why not you. <laughs> Come on. Don't be an idiot. Please. 
Marshall will appreciate this. The lead in I wrote yesterday for Mike Berman's story for spring training. I was like, well, last year they hoped to win the division. Instead, they were one of four teams who lost over 100 games. Here's Mike Berman. <laughs> Actually, here's the aforementioned Marshall Harris. He's on Twitter at MHarrisOnAir. Joined us on the Circa Sports Hotline. Download the Circa Sports app today. Twitch.tv slash Chicago 670. The square. You should always check that out as well. Marshall, hello. Good morning, afternoon. I don't know where, where we are. I guess it's afternoon there, but not quite afternoon here. Uh, but, yeah, I'm at Camelback Ranch. I was there for that uh, media availability from uh, one Pedro Grafo who got a little defensive when I asked a simple question of, hey, going back to last year, what did you learn that maybe you can apply? And he's like, we don't look back. We have turned the page. Nobody in that clubhouse is thinking about last year. I know for a fact. I'm like, all right, bro. I was just curious as to maybe as a manager, what, maybe how you were going to squeeze a few more wins out of a team that won 61 games. But, hey, do you? Do well, you? That that to me is the uh, like the defiance. He's like nice about it, but he's still kind of being defiant. And it's like, man, you had a team that was supposed to do things last season, and instead, you were one of the most underachieving teams there was. Really, maybe the mo- the most when you consider that the other teams who lost 100 games had intent to do so. And you were one yeah. of the first people who talked about it last year, Marshall. You knew something wasn't right when you were at spring training this time last year. Yeah, I mean, it, I, here's here's what I know. I, I've covered a lot of good baseball teams, world champion baseball teams. I've covered a lot of bad baseball teams, bottom of the barrel, if you will. And talk is talk until you showed me some action. And, you know, I, I saw the flame out in the playoffs the last time they were there, uh, not getting, you know, anything past the Houston Astros. And I just looked at the roster. I was like, well, if everybody has a big year, then okay. Who had a big year? Luis, Robert Jr., who else had a big year? Yeah, that's it. Nobody. And and it's also the fact, too, that the idea of any baseball team making some huge move in either direction is really rare. That in in the history of the game, the best predictor of how you're going to be this year is how you were last year. It just is. These baseball teams don't all of a sudden become good or bad like they do in football. Yeah, this is not a parody-based league. This is a develop your your talent, bring in some free agents, uh, have good starting pitching, have a bullpen, have guys who can hit. Uh, And when you look at the White Sox last year, there was a lot of that lacking in every single facet of the game. That's the thing. It's not like – they were playing these close games to start the season. You remember how last season started. Um, and then you look at what they've done this offseason, and one thing Pedro Grofo was absolutely correct about is it's wide open. There's so many jobs up for grabs right now. You know, the amount of research I've had to do in the last, you know, 48 hours before I left for Arizona, I got out here on Tuesday, just to understand, like, who are these guys? Where did they come from? What's the background? Um, how is the starting lineup going to look? I can't answer those questions. And, like, I was like, it's been a while since I covered a team where I had way more questions than answers. And that's that's where we are with this White Sox team. But, you know, they will put a product on the field uh, come April, and we will see what that looks like. I mean, that's it to me. It's I don't know why they are – I wouldn't call it lying, but it's just why the smokescreen. Like, when you're trading – 
quality players for a number of minor leaguers or a number of different players, some of them minor leaguers, that would indicate the status of your team. Jerry Reinsdorf acknowledged the rebuild process here, and they keep drawing from the Royals, even though one of Chris Getz's uh, high points was that he was in the organization. But you know what you're seeing, Marshall, and that's and that's that aspect that we discussed. I'm really surprised that like more guys aren't here early. Um, I, I mean, obviously, it's it, hitters report when hitters report Monday, but you know, none of the guys that you saw last year that are still on the roster as far as position players are here doing things now. Like uh, Nikki Lopez, Paul DeYoung, they're here doing their early morning work and you know getting an early acclimation and whatnot. But you know, the guys I thought might be here um, aren't here yet. So I'm just talking like today. I talked to uh, Garrett Crochet whose velocity, he says he stopped trying to chase the velocity thing. He's not going to be hitting 100 miles per hour. He's like 92 to 94. Um, talk to Michael Kopech. He knows he needs to have, you know, a better season. But he says he's finally healthy and he's been banged up the last few years. Um, I, I, I talked to Jesse Chavez today, who's 40, and has already love said this him. is going to be his last season. I love but him. Like, but, yeah, but, like, the, the, he knows what it takes to kind of not only make it, but to have some, a modicum of success uh, in this league. So I, I just like getting perspectives and trying to understand, okay, what is the mindset here? What are guys talking about? What do they believe? Um, and I think it's going to be an interesting story until the season starts. And then it might be a lot less interesting as far as aesthetically uh, to, to follow the White Sox. But that, you know, I, I watched the games last year to the bitter end and cause that's my job. That's what I get paid to do. It was your job. You did get paid to do it. We salute you. But I also want to know, who's not there? Who have you been looking for who you haven't seen out of the position players? Uh, Andrew Vaughn and, uh, you know, some of these guys that I, I thought would be, you know, primed to, to do something, be middle of the lineup. Like, like, I was trying to construct the lineup and figure out. Um, I don't think Andrew Benintendi's here. Um, I, I, it's, it's, it was very sparse in the uh, clubhouse. And I've only been here a couple of days out of the, the time I've been here. I've been over at Cubs. Uh, but you know, it's just I, I can't wait to see Monday and Tuesday what it looks like over here. Um, and, you know, a lot of that is if they really have, quote, unquote, turn the page on 2023. Well, you got a fresh start. You do have that. Um, but what are you going to do with it? And and it's not so much what are you going to do with it before you say what you're going to do. it. What can you do with it? What are you what are you capable of? So you need to tell me that the richest contract in free agent history who signed just a year ago for this team isn't at spring training yet? Uh, I haven't seen him, so uh, I would say no. That's um, I, I could be wrong. I could, I, I could have missed it. I, but, um, yeah, I, I, it's fine. Like, I, I, yeah, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's not here because I asked, like, is anyone here from starting position players last year already? And I was told no. So that's hilarious. Yeah, I'm, I'm, <laughs> what? I mean, I'm not, I know it's, it's just early. a few it's days, Monday. but it's, have to report till Monday. but it's I the know. message. You got a new GM and you've got a manager that's trying to solidify himself, prove that he can do the job and get, got a reprieve and a chance to do it. And these guys are like, yeah, you know, be there and we're there. Yeah. Well, it, <laughs> it's funny that you guys say it like that. Cause I'm with you. But I try to see always the other side, the other perspective, and I can't wait to ask. I, I, hey, you showed up on time. That's great. But like, well, why did you not feel the need this year, as maybe opposed to last year, to show up early? You know, because yeah. guys were here early last year. 
I can that, tell you that. That's it. Yes, exactly. Like when you're at Cubs and we've had reports from Cubs as well, whole squad is there. It seems like everybody's showing up. Yeah. But part of that is, you know, the way their season ended last year, plus a new manager, I think they know, right. Yo, we have to be better. And we want to make sure we're going to squeeze every, you know, last uh, piece of this toothpaste out of the tube to make sure. Cause they understand they, here's what they understand. They understand to a man, the, the Cubs that were here last year, they understand that they missed the playoffs by a game, you can say two games based on tiebreakers, but it's a 162-game season. They all have regrets about how some or many of those games played out, specifically the start of the season, right? So they're like, there won't be that excuse this year. We're here. We're doing whatever is required of us. So I get that from a Cubs perspective. For the White Sox, no one expects them to do anything. Like, no one, the, the, their fan base doesn't expect to do it. It's going to be one of those, we're going to the ballpark because it's a nice day and it's something to do and there's fireworks or a promotion. What, why else are you going to a White Sox game this year and paying your hard-earned money? How visible has Tony La Russa been? Uh, I know he's around. I have not laid eyes on him in the last, uh, in today since I've been here, but I know he is around. Um, I don't know how visible he's been, but I, I mean, there's not that many people here. So I might just be standing somewhere because I came off to the side a little bit where I haven't seen him, uh, but I haven't seen him yet. But it, he is visible because people have been talking about seeing Tony LaRusso. I know you can't ask these veteran position players this question because they're not there yet, <laughs> but maybe pictures. Are you hearing any, any complaints about the uniforms? Because that's a big story that's building around the league. So I was just reading about that. Um, this morning, actually, I, I wasn't familiar with it, but I just, yeah, I, I, I somebody said they look like knockoffs. Um, it's, it's, uh, very, uh, not good. Um, but I don't know, but I'm not, that's one of the things I'm going to work on, uh, the next couple of days is getting opinions from both the Sox and the Cubs on that. Yeah. It looks um, like even I, the, the letter sizing isn't uniform at all. Like uniform being the operative word here. That that's something wait, wait, that you're saying that the really... letters are actually different sizes? I know they're yes. smaller on some uniforms, but you're saying these uniforms this year, one guy might have different letter sizes than another guy? Yes. Oh, that's bad. Yeah, you might want to. I'm curious if you see that yourself, because they like put two Mariners jerseys up next to each other, and the name sizes were very different for like a similarly lengthy name, like similar amount of characters. It was It was remarkably different. I haven't seen that, but I'm looking at the back of jerseys right now just to see if – I haven't seen that yet. I'm, but I'm literally right now looking at the back of jerseys just to see. A lot of guys have, like, extra clothes on because it's a little – not chilly, but it's not warm outside. Um, but, yeah, I, I didn't know that, but now I'm going to be looking for that. I'm definitely looking for that. Um, but, yeah, that, the White Sox, man. I, look, guys, full disclosure. No, no, listen, listen, listen. Hear me out, hear me out, hear me out. Great. I lived in Birmingham, Alabama until I was 10 years old. My earliest memories of baseball in a professional capacity is going to Birmingham Barons games at the Hoover Met. I need you to understand, like, I am a Sox fan. And so, like, it, it's giving Sacramento Kings, right? Where, like, the owner's like, we are going to try. But, like, ultimately, if you're a Kings fan – you have what you have and be grateful that you have anything like they, what do they have to do? What do the white Sox have to do? You know, it's giving, it's, it's giving bulls 
hey, what's up? Y'all going to show up to games anyway, right? So as long as we are quote-unquote competitive, take that to mean whatever you're – like, what are you going to do? The TV money's flowing in. Attendance uh, for White Sox, that'll be down this year. But, like, who's forcing anyone's hand, you know? Oh, and they're going to get a brand-new building brand new with, with a bunch of tax yeah. abatements and easements and all of that. So I think that's what they're going to try to keep your focus on when all is said and done. Yeah, it's, it's a, it, listen, it's a business. And for years, I've been trying to get sports fans working in my capacity to understand when they get upset, when they get all emotionally invested, as, as sports fans are wont to do. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying just to keep some perspective, understand you are a mark. They're making money off of you, and you are a mark. Never forget, as a sports fan, you are simply a mark. Marshall Harris, on, on that up, on that upbeat note, we will say uh, enjoy your time out there and look forward to your reporting. Thank you. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Marshall. That's Marshall Harris, the CBS Chicago Sports Director. Let's get to the latest on what's going on with this controversy over the MLB unis, because at least one report says now, as we predicted yesterday, the union is getting involved. And this is going to become a larger working issue, workplace issue that is uh, across the league getting a lot of undue attention. That's next on The Score. Bernstein and Holmes. Middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score in Odyssey Station. I've been talking to some of the guys and some of them, I don't want to mention any names, but some of them are not too happy with the polyester uniforms. How so? They get very hot in the polyester. You know, it's not a natural fire. I think they would prefer cotton. And the Yankees take the field. Hey, what is with the Yankees? They look like they're having trouble running. They can't move. It's their uniforms. They're too tight. They've shrunk. They're running like penguins. Forget this game. Oh, my God. Mattingly just split his pants. Ah, life imitating art, because apparently there has been actual pants splitting going on, even already among pitchers and catchers, as MLB is cheaped out on the uniforms. We discussed it yesterday, and the latest development is, at least according to Bleacher Report, Major League Baseball's Players Association is now involved after players complained to the union. Good. Yes. That's what your union is for. How can you not think these things through? How can you just not care? What are you talking about? They've been boiling the frog with the baseball. That's true. And and this is a a step beyond that. But the the baseball is, is one thing. If a pitcher says, well, it feels chalky or it feels different. This is, it's your clothing. You're an athlete. It's incredibly important that you're, I don't know, not uncomfortable in your team-issued clothing. They're testing and, what the market will bear. And they are. And and this is where you got to push back. Like, I don't think there's going to be a wildcat strike. But I, I'm. we were joking yesterday about everybody doing a, a, a Chris Sale homage. It might be time for something like that. This is what you wear at work. Who told the story? Did you or did Lawrence tell the story about NBA socks? Was it me? 
that there was some exhibition game that everybody played in, a celebrity game or whatever, and they, and they gave out actual NBA team issue socks. And the quality is like, oh, my God, I've never worn anything like this in my life. And they wear a pair and they throw them out and they wear another pair. And just the the smallest things. And men, NFL equipment managers, what they do every game, like the unsung heroes, the, the, the difference between a good equipment managing staff and a bad one, what they do to, to customize every bit of armor for these gladiators. And the least you can do for a baseball player is allow them free range of motion. I mean, and that was the, that was the whole Seinfeld joke. It was a, it was a plot point that we just played coming out there, and it's happening. I know, and it's the reference that everybody continues to make. As they but should. They should, and the amount of sheer laundry that baseball equipment managers have to do, and how do you think the patches get on the jerseys? Those are sewn on. There's so much that goes into. Managing that side of it so the athletes don't have to think about it. And it's funny that you reference laundry because it's back to the famous Seinfeld line about players move around and we're, we're, we're rooting for laundry. Can we at least root for better quality laundry? We're rooting for cheap laundry now if that's the case. We're rooting for replica jerseys. That doesn't make us feel any better. And, and also, like the understanding, there was always something special about getting a real jersey a non and understanding the difference game worn jersey uh, understanding the difference like when you put on a real nhl sweater and it had the the anchor strip on there you're like what what's this thing like oh well that's to snap it down so your jersey doesn't get pulled over your head because people kick your ass out there and i have you ever put on have you ever put an nfl helmet on no it's remarkable when we just think that they're like these, you know, the, a piece of plastic, like, oh, here, I got a piece of plastic. They're not. They're unbelievably heavy and tight. And it's the, the, there's supposed to be that realization when you see that, you know, an MLB jersey, you see how it's stitched. And you're like, oh. Or when we'd all wear our Bears replica jerseys around and somebody get a real Bears jersey. And the color's completely different. And the stitching is different. And it's all reinforced. You're like, this is, this is a different animal. And the fact that MLB would just be like, nah, we're just going to, we're just going to, it's, it's the same stuff you can get at Walmart. Like that, it, to, it's one thing to be a, a fan recognizing that. It's another, that's their job. Well, and even, even the authentic women's apparel is made with that kind of care. The pink. <laughs> My, the, the Sox gifted me a Southside women's jersey, the city edition. That thing is incredibly well made like the velcro closures and the quality of the velcro for example or just how the cut is even even on the women's side there was a brand continuity there and you just don't find that very often and that's the just class it's class that you operate with when you when you see all the details and that's that's a real shame i'm glad to see that at least hopefully there's a correction made because that's what needs to happen when you are working that many games and for that long and you have to have things be absolutely correct and we talk about the margins, that absolutely goes to your tools. It's what you have on. It's your cleats. It's your clothing. We talk about performance fabric all the time when we're working out. Why wouldn't it be any different for them? 
Do we care what Rob Manfred had to say about the uniforms yesterday or no? Because oh, now we uh, sure that guy's sure. retiring anyway because sure. he's having too much fun. Well, let, let's doing pre- nothing. Let's pretend to care even if we okay, don't. Okay, so he said according to ESPN.com. Oh, we have the audio. Okay. Well, we always pay attention to what people are saying um, uh, about any new initiative. Um, I think you know in baseball, any new initiative, there's going to be some negative feedback. Um, First and most important, uh, these are Nike jerseys. I mean, we entered this partnership with Nike because of who they are and the kinds of products that they produce. Um, Everything they've done for us so far has been absolutely 100% successful across the board. Um, The jerseys are different. They're designed to be performance wear as opposed to what has traditionally been worn, so they are going to be different. But they have been tested more extensively than any jersey in any sport. Uh, The feedback from the All-Star game last year where the jerseys were worn was uniformly positive from the players. So I think after people, you know, wear them a little bit, I think that that they're going to be really popular. That is 56 seconds of a commissioner lying through his teeth. He's also just justifying it. He didn't say anything that indicated that they're going to take player opinion into consideration. And that's why you have (laughs) to have a union head. I found something else interesting there, too, because if you're with Nike, these are Nike designed fanatics manufactured. So when he go when the commissioner goes out of his way to apparently shield fanatics by saying these are Nike jerseys, that puts it on them entirely. And if, if you're with Nike, you're calling him and saying, hey, we didn't make them. We designed them. We came up with the concepts. We did all the testing, maybe even some of the measurements. We didn't sew them. Fanatics did a company that is famous, infamous for its lack of quality control. So that's what, why would he do that? Why would he spare Fanatics and simply say, these are Nike jerseys? If you're Nike. That's exactly why he did it, because they partnered with Fanatics. Yes, of course he's going to spare Fanatics. He's partnered with Nike too. And if you're Nike and you hear him say that and you see everyone complain about the poor quality, if I was someone with Nike, I'd be on the phone right away. Right away, be like, hey, whoa. I guarantee you That's what I just said, yeah. I'd say, hey, wait, hold hold on a second. Because their standard, but the point I was getting to is because their standard is so much higher. Like, they have a high standard of actual quality athletic wear. They're not going to want their name being associated with this. And Manfred referenced the uh, feedback from the All-Star game last year. I'd love to know just how many players were actually like ranting and raving about these this quality of uniforms. This is from the man who brought you the trophy as a hunk of metal. A work stoppage that didn't need to happen. Somebody who clearly only cares about ownership's desires and only certain owners because you can't cheer on the guys who were spending money on their teams. Asking for a piece of metal back. You're having fun, though, right? He's having fun. Sounds like he's having a blast, huh? So the 219 says, did Nike or Fanatics make the All-Star jerseys? Maybe, I don't know. That's a great question. Maybe Nike designed and manufactured those. And in this case, now they've handed over the manufacturing to a company that's bad at it. This We haven't heard the end of it. We'll keep an eye on it. Put it that way. Next up, the Bulls have hit the break. And they've got no All-Stars. 
They do have a G League all-star, Adama Sonogo, who's going to be headed to Indianapolis. So and that's pretty cool, I guess, or something. It can be cool. Rising stars often can be better players later. I don't think this is – is it the rising – it's some other G League recognition of some kind. I don't know exactly what it is. Oh, I was meaning rising stars like in general. Oh, not the rising stars game. Not the rising Got stars it. game. Featuring everybody who's given the Bulls problems over the last two years. Three-point field goal, rising star. Alperin Shingoon. Well, that dude. He's he's, he's going to be better than one of those Bulls killers. Oh, yeah. He's he, – yes. He better than that. He real good. So Dan and I will be watching the Rising Stars game. Well, next up, we're going to be talking about what the Bulls are at the moment. Casey Johnson had some thoughts on why the Levine trade to the Lakers never materialized and what the hell is going on with him after games with Kobe White and these interviews that have become must-see television. We'll discuss next on The Score. Bulls. This hour is brought to you by Cars for Kids. It felt like the uh, prevailing. Kobe, we're doing an interview here. We're doing an interview here, Kobe. Kobe, we're doing an interview here. Hey, I open. All right, all right. Goodbye. I open. It felt like it, it felt like the prevailing theme. Take, take three. Why does it get more funny with every play? It just does, and, it, and Casey's the perfect guy too. He's the perfect guy. He's got he's like just enough kind of of put upon dad energy. <laughs> Take three. That's <laughs> just, just the best part. Just it, the it, best part. As I told him, it, it also it reminds me of one of those Carson shows that kind of just. Gets out of the, you know, things start going crazy, and you got Joan Embry from the San Diego Zoo, and she's got like a condor on her arm, and then, you know, you get Buddy oh. Hackett as they're spraying seltzer, and you're you're just kind of letting it all happen around. Toby, we're doing an interview here. It's the first segment of the show today. Well, that's uh, that happens often, but I'm by the way, still okay. For now, still okay because I chased it with some of those incredible Starbucks Gruyere and bacon egg bites. I was a little worried. Did you see what the bag said? We're doing an interview here, Kobe. What did the bag say? <laughs> what did the bag say? <laughs> On the outside of the bag, it says kale mushroom egg bite. That's what I got. They were quite delicious. Ooh, <gasps> okay, you sca- scared the hell out of me. Some things I, I ask, how did that withstand the test of time? That's one of the things. What did the bag say? Well, the bag said kale <laughs> mushroom. Were they good? They were great. Really? They were really okay, good. Okay, good. Because I was thinking, well, they screwed up, but I'm not going to say anything. And then I looked, and mine were there. And they hadn't screwed up. The bacon and cheese egg bites indeed were there. Thanks. I got much, an oat milk latte I'm pretty happy about. Oatmeal co- latte? Oat milk. Oh, oat milk. I consume latte. dairy. I just like the oat milk latte. I think Double shot nice. of espresso. That, that's on brand for you, studs. Get the pre-workout going. Get the Dan Campbell. I worked out this morning. Ooh, solid. That if doesn't bother me. If I didn't like... go to work until eleven thirty at night, I would also work out in the morning before the shift. Did you have coffee before your workout too? No, no, no. no. Oh, usually, okay. usually, sometimes if I if I know I'm mainly lifting, I might do coffee. But I have a, a pre-workout that I use. Pre-workout does work. Yeah, this one this one's awesome. It's called a uh, Amino Energy. It's fantastic. 
<laughs> it has a picture of studs on the front. He's like, yeah. It well, it's great because it like it gives you like the tinglies, but it's not like severe. And the caffeine is from green tea, so it's a little better for you. It's 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 my the only one I use. All we need is Cody Decker to complete the pre workout talk discussion. All right, before we get to the serious stuff about the Zach Levine trade and why that didn't work, I want to hear from Casey Johnson about what's going on with this post game interview dynamic. This was this morning with the Mulligan Haw show with Gabe Ramirez in it. It's not difficult at all because uh it's uh back and forth and uh for those that don't know, uh because I saw some people clapping at me to let them celebrate. It's a bit between me and Kobe. He's doing it on purpose, and he enjoys when I give the it back to him. So um, it's it is what it is. Uh, those aren't you know uh, Pulitzer Prize winning journalism uh, moments anyway. So it's just uh, it's just some fun, and that was that was that was a big win in Atlanta. So uh, they should be celebrating like that. Um, and uh, it's it's been uh, it's been it's been an enjoyable experience overall. I will say that. You can imagine what it would have been had that shot gone in and they ended up winning in Cleveland, how crazy it might have been. Oh, man. That was that was a disappointing game. I was really hoping that the Bulls would sustain that, that lead. And, man, Cleveland is too good. They're the second seed in the East behind the best team in the NBA for a reason. Who, by the way, the best team NBA in the NBA is who the Bulls play after the break. Cleveland could win a title. Oh, they're excellent. I, I've always been a J.B. Biggerstaff fan since he was an assistant in Houston. And say what you want, but the Rockets, the Rockets' fingerprints are all over the NBA now in so many different ways, including here because of Mark Eversley. And, man, I just – that would have been a really nice win to have. They're still not 500. You know, they're still two games below 500. We talk about all this stuff, but to me, like, until you get to 500, I don't want to hear about any of it. All right, and listen, texters, 847. If you want to make those egg bites, you need to sous vide some eggs at home. Okay, Shane. 309, you can get those egg bites at Costco. I don't want them. I want them exactly how they're brought here. Apparently I that's like, not okay. I like them. Though. Why can't I Via just. Via Mitch, that's how it's brought yeah, here. <laughs> why can't I just like these where Mitch buys them for me and I eat them? I don't need to do anything else. I've already, I'm winning the egg bite thing so far. Ah, it's one rare aspect of my life that I'm actually doing well. Uh, we have a footnote from Marshall Harris. Yes. Regarding our last interview. He says several hitters are here. They just don't want them to talk yet. They're hiding. Don't talk. You can't say anything yet. What do you mean you don't want them to talk yet? Who doesn't want them to talk yet? And why? Tony. Hey, <laughs> Huh? Why I don't, don't know why you wouldn't want people why? to know that your team is there. Why don't you? What do you mean you don't want to? I don't them? like our okay, team. Okay, so Vaughn and ben, ben and Tendi are there. Okay. Okay, that's better. That's good to know. Why don't, but we don't want them to talk yet. Why? Is talking going to sap their precious bodily fluids well, and their you, manly energy? You know, they're <laughs> so, because we know that they're so good at this. They had their GM speaking the day after the Super Bowl, the morning after the Super Bowl, which we all know is the most ideal time to have your general manager of a baseball team talking. To be so fair, very I was good still interested in what he was going to say, but I agree with you, Studs. That you should be a holiday. The, do it the next day. Right? Okay, Come well, on. yeah, so from Marshall... Vaughn and Ben and Teddy are there, but they just haven't spoken yet for reasons we don't know. They don't want to talk yet. They have. They don't want to give away the White Sox baseball secrets. They're going to use what bite on the slider like they, you guys always do. Do they have secret 
good socks film like yes. like Lucas Patrick has it's, the secret good bears it's film. The Lucas Patrick Bears film that on, on the White Sox secret. Is that the film, film where really he's good. just sitting in front of the quarterback constantly? We're not doing this. The Bulls almost beat Cleveland, and it made me happy. They play Boston after the All-Star break. They don't have an All-Star, which sucks and hasn't happened in a long time. So This is really good. No, it's not, but thank you. Uh, Casey Johnson, why didn't the Lakers deal for Levine materialize? From this jump, when when, uh, when Zach's situation unfolded in early November, that was always the team targeted because of the connection with clutch sports. And, um, um, you know, a lot of clients of clutch sports ending up in LA and then Zach, you know, playing at UCLA and um, having a home there. I mean, that, that was always the team targeted. There just was never a match. I mean, unless that, that conversation would never even got started unless Austin Reeves was put in the conversation. And, they, you know, Austin Reeves was never put in the conversation. So the Bulls had no interest in training for D'Angelo Russell and Rui Hachimura um, and whatever would have needed else to be a sweetener in that deal um, at the time. I mean, and then what happened was D'Angelo Russell started playing at a level where the Lakers were like, you know, we don't really need to improve off this. So it, it's, 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 it's a, it's certainly a nugget because it's LeBron James and he's open to, so when you put LeBron James, but to me, the most telling aspect of that story, and we should credit the reporters, Sam Amick from The Athletic, longtime NBA guy, great reporter. Um, the, to me, the most telling nugget of the story is, okay, so he said Le- LeBron was open to adding Levine uh, before the trade deadline, but then he said the Lakers are going to be targeting, targeting three players this summer. None of them named Zach Levine. <laughs> it was DeJounte Murray, Donovan Mitchell, and Trey Young. So, um the Lakers are always on the hunt for star power, but the fact that Zach Levine didn't make the offseason list to me is the more telling anecdote from the story. So the trade didn't happen because they didn't want him. Dude, but how much information did he just casually throw out there? I was like, wait, what? Wait, what? What? I thought it centered mostly around the first round pick discussion. No, it's just that. And D'Angelo <laughs> Russell. They wanted star power. They didn't consider him star power. Okay, then. Awesome. Excellent. I mean, because he's bad. No, he's not. He's not bad. By the way, the Bulls haven't had somebody. This is the first time since 1980. They have nobody representing at All Star Weekend. 80. Is that right? Yes. Do you remember when? It's quoted in many articles. Because in 79, it was Gilmore, right? And then in 81, it was Theus. Does that sound right? First time since 80 that there are no Bulls at any of the All-Star Weekend events. Got to look up those 1980 Bulls, see who got shafted. So would that be the 79-80 season? Uh, I think so, yes. Yeah, there were some lean times, man, but that, that's when I was really becoming a fan. Uh, do you count Mac McClung and Larry Markinen no. as your Bulls? All right. In, wait, in, in the 79-80 season. Reggie Theus averaged 20 points and six assists a game, shot 50% from the field, and didn't make an all It wasn't an all-star? All right. Okay. And my, my neighbor was on this team. Who is your neighbor? Dwight Jones. He lived right across the street from Doug Buffon, actually. Theus made it the next year and Dwight, as an all-star. Dwight Jones on Halloween 
stood by his door and gave out autographs instead of candy, which was really cool. It is cool. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Reggie Theus in 1981. A-Train in 82. Artis Gilmore makes sense. Theus again in 83. Orlando Woolridge was in the slam dunk contest in 84. Some guy named Michael Jordan, who you hate, was there for a long time. In 1999, lockout year. Elton Brand in 2000. Yeah, Terry covered these teams. Marcus Pfizer in 02. Marcus Pfizer. Marcus Pfizer. Yep. You can't not say it like that. Is he woke? Marcus Pfizer? Pfizer? Yeah. He must be woke, right? Mr. Pfizer? Oh, God. Again, this is my day off. I nailed that one. <laughs> I mean, guys. Oh. Delmer Bayshore. But. Wow. I know. Go, the list is pretty interesting. Yeah, this was. I loved these Bad Bulls teams. I really did. The year before was even worse. That was the Larry Costello team. Yeah, I went to a bunch of these games, too. I mean, Larry, Larry in 19 and 18 in the Rising Stars game. Obviously, are, D. Rose, Luol Dang, nobody's surprised. You guys remember this season, earlier this season, when there was a little chatter of, like, maybe Kobe will be in the three-point contest. That was a thing for a little while. That was a thing that for died. a little while. But, yeah, that is, that's ridiculous. You have to go back to 80 for no bull in the All-Star weekend at all. John Mengelt, my guy. That's the guy that, that John Mengelt was the guy who you didn't want to be the kid who impersonated him on the playground. <laughs> Anybody else was fine. The reason why you couldn't impersonate John Mengelt, or you shouldn't ever impersonate John Mengelt, was he had the most disgusting habit. And I'm not making this up. He and, and Mengelt did some TV too. I think he did. Was it DePaul games or something? He he did. He used to lick his hands constantly during the game. Oh, that's not COVID safe. It's not anything safe. And he was a ball handler. Oh. And he, he'd dribble the ball. He'd lick, he would lick his hand in between dribbles. Oy. My God. I'm not kidding. It was, it was vile. And he would, like, push off. A, think about it. It's an NBA game. And he'd be sweaty, do that basketball and everything else. And he would, he like, no. Well, is there much difference between sweat and spit at that I point? I don't know. It, it, dirt and everything else. Yes. Like, and they didn't, and they didn't even yes. wipe the floors all because that well. Because your mouth studs. And what is that supposed to help, by the way? Like, what I is that? I guess the, the tackiness or like a baseball player spitting on his hands. Studs. But that's why, your bat. Why are yours and my jokes off this segment? I feel like we're usually in step. She's not in sync today. I don't know. And I even, you know, I like the hat. Thank you. We'll get it on track. We got, we got 40 minutes to do it. We do. You're running out of time, damn it. <laughs> the bomb I mean, is going to explode. You just, you know your people, man. You just want to be in stride with your people. This, this too is a choreography, a balance. Now, we, we were talking about Kobe White, and I know we do. We have a guest coming up in a, in a few minutes. Did you see where Kobe White was last night? Yeah, or, or, or two nights ago. The the no, it was last well, night. Was last night, he was at the Iowa game. Yes, for Caitlin Clark. Yes, he paid the seven hundred dollars or whatever it is. He was to go down there, like he was in the background of. He had great seats. I was watching the the like post game ceremony for Caitlin Clark, and I was like, wait a minute, 
that's Kobe, I think. So I went to Twitter and, and just looked up Kobe White, Caitlin Clark, and boom, somebody already had it on the screen. Like, do I see Kobe White there? Unmistakable Kobe White with the hair and the beard. And the outfit. He had and on the a, fresh outfit. Nice, outfit. nice hoodie. Yeah, Kobe White's got an interesting look going. I, I like the fact that he's he's you don't have to try to see where he is on the court. It was always as a broadcaster, as a play-by-play guy, you always loved guys who you didn't have to see a jersey number, you didn't you you all you just they were easy to identify. And Kobe is definitely one of those guys. Have you heard him discuss why he grows his hair out? No. His sister encouraged him to do it. So he does it for his sister. I do always think guys should embrace their hair. They shouldn't always have to go with the super short hair if they don't want to. Like, let it breathe. Mine's, on, mine's going out thing. right now. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that. And and actually, Beth told me not to get mine cut, and I told her I needed it cut. And she's like, no, don't get it cut. But you so want it cut, like, right? Well, I, I had it cleaned up a little bit because it was just getting too crazy, and I don't want to get it too poofy. But I, I just did what she said because I don't care. I do the opposite. I make my hair more poofy on purpose. The, the problem is when you do the big hair and the beard, you end up looking like animal. That's bad? The Muppet. Yeah, that's bad? Not necessarily, because it, sh- it can be a good look. if you Depending on how the hair goes and how big the beard is, you get, you, you get an animal is based, the look of animal, does anyone know on whom it's based? The style of the idea of the crazy, screaming, maniacal drummer is based on John Bonham and Keith Moon. But the look is based on Ginger Baker. Well, similarly, there's a lot of people getting work done, and there's been a lot of people being compared to Janice. So these things happen. Oh, with the, with the lip, like a duck and lips the eyelashes. and the eyelashes and everything. Yeah, I noticed that. Who was it the other night at the Grammys? Janice, underrated name. Well, it's spelled, it, it, she's named after Janice Joplin, right? Is it J-A-N-I-S? Uh-huh. I think so. Who? Oh, I'll remember who it was. It's Kylie Minogue, who now looks exactly like Nicole Kidman. Well, they are both Australian, I suppose. Is there only one doctor in Australia? I don't know, but it just seemed really, I'm telling you, who does she look like? Who does she, like, who is, I thought it was Nicole Kidman. And Beth's like, no, that's Kylie Minogue. Look how much Giselle now looks like Gigi Hadid. Ooh. Yeah, that fits into your algorithm. Mmm. Mmm. No, I... That got you, Ray? No, not 50 yet. Mercifully. Him questioning that it, it, whether it does fit into his algorithm. I don't think so. Got me. Remember so. the last time a football dater, player dated a really successful person in entertainment? It was Tom and Giselle. Got nothing on these two, and now that now that football has gone woke, <laughs> the NFL—it's just another one of these weak-ass woke soy boy cuck sports. That's all it is. So now this the next football thing—the the goalpost now has moved for Travis and and Taylor to like, are they going to make it through the off season together now? Right, like that's the new thing, right? You know that time where they have time together. Exactly. Although, hey, let's face it. Some truths are told during that time. Hmm? So true. But, you know, she probably doesn't have time. No, she's she has on an a off world season. tour. Yeah. <sighs> well, yeah. 
I don't know. Now I'm just thinking about people who look like Janice. That's mean. Now I'm concerned that my algorithm is actually going to have pictures of the Muppet animal in it. That would be awesome. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no. Not the, yeah, we're like, back, studs. We're back. Yahoo algorithm is going to be like, oh, what's, gotta, in here, what's in here today? You got to oh, watch the- Padma Lakshmi imposing in a swimsuit. Gee, doesn't Salma Hayek look amazing? And there's animal. You got it? <laughs> Have you, have, ah, you seen, have, you, have you seen Animals Drum Battle with Dave Grohl? It's awesome. No, I just watched the videos of, um, what's her name? Uh, Nandi, uh, what's her last name? Bushnell. Nandi Bushnell, the, the, when she started at eight years old. She's unbelievable. Oh, yeah. She's, yeah. Awesome. she's the one who plays the covers and, like, all the instruments yes, at the same Yes, and, time. like, side-by-side stuff. There's videos of, of Neil Peart and her. There's the, the Animal Dave Grohl Drum Battle is hilarious. And because it starts with Dave Grohl just going, I've been waiting years for this animal. <laughs> That's awesome. 630, who the hell is, who's Ginger Baker? No, nah, that's a fair Come question. Come on. Really? Yep. I mean, I, he was the drummer for Cream. Oh, no. Somebody, he was an, an English somebody rock it. and jazz drummer. The head of Dave Campbell's Texas football just uh, tweeted a pic of me interviewing a high school football coach from 2008. The hair was larger then and blonde, and the side part was deep, as I am a millennial. Wow, I never thought I would get a question saying, who's Ginger Baker? Well, speak, speaking of being a millennial, I had to look up Ginger Baker, and I thought I was going to get a picture of a chick, and I, it's this guy. I just English nodded guy. and waited for Dan to explain no. more so I could gather more information through context clues. No, his name was Peter Baker, but he was a ginger, so everybody called him Ginger. It was like a baseball nickname. Oh, he does look like animal. Oh. Yes, yes, and and the other thing about Ginger Baker, penis like complete raging jerkwad. Wait, so Dave Grohl really <laughs> says he's been waiting years for the for the drum battle with animal. It's so good. Oh, guess what, guys? Mike Mustakas is on foul territory today. Oh, they're letting him talk. How about Marshall? Doing the Sacramento Kings comparison to the White Sox. That today. was underrated. Woo! Yeah, but the Sacramento Kings are better. Well, sure, like but they, they've had they've had more eras of consistent success in the White Sox. But the the thing was, what Marshall said was, "Hey, this is your team. You're gonna like it or you don't like it, but this is your team, and that's all you got." And that's kind of I, 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 what I imagine understand. Sox fans are feeling. You've been in the organization for years. Why do you need to look at another organization to do your job? Especially that organization. Says, well, we have relationships. Well, so? You also have relationships new ones. with your people. Yes, ideally. That'd be great. All right, let's talk about the historic performance from Caitlin Clark last night. Not only becoming the leading scorer in the history of women's college basketball, but doing so with a 49-point performance that also gave her the all-time single-game Iowa record, and she did it with, like, a 35-foot three-pointer from the logo. And scored the first eight points of the game, and she was eight points away. So we're going to talk with Megan McEwen, basketball analyst for Big Ten Network and Peacock, when we come back on The Score. Bernstein and Holmes, your midday destination for Chicago sports talk on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Here comes Clark. How will she go for history? There it is! 
and women's college basketball. That was on Peacock, and that's just cool. I don't care. That's, to do that with that shot, you want a record? How about a 40-footer? Here you go. Take that. Here's your record. Bang. Down the well it goes. That was really awesome. And on the call for it is our next guest, Megan McEwen, basketball analyst for Big Ten Network and Peacock on Twitter, at McEwen underscore Wallace, and with us on the Circa Resort and Casino Hotline. Visit CircaLasVegas.com, twitch.tv slash Chicago 670 The Score. Megan, thanks for joining us today. That was really, I, I can only imagine, a professionally memorable for you. Oh, my goodness. I, I feel like I'm on a high still, even though the game ended 18 hours ago. It was just freaking awesome, the only way to describe it. You know, it's funny. I asked her a cheat around, how do you want to break it? Like, you know, forget the game and everything. How do you want to do it if you could you know, right to ending to this. And she was like, a logo three, obviously. So the fact that she did it in two minutes and 12 seconds into the game, she had eight points. Unbelievable. The most Caitlin Clark way to break a record. She is absolutely unbelievable. Megan, I feel like I could ask you, what was the atmosphere last night? But then I could ask you, what was the atmosphere in her last game and her last game and her last game? Because that's how it's been. It's it's been a show. Whenever she comes to town anywhere, whenever the games are even at home, you're seeing the same kind of electric setting every time. The crowd is with her, and her influence is obviously massive. I, I don't even know how you put into perspective what you probably saw last night. Peacock did a great job broadcasting it, but it, it was it was fun to watch. Well, thank you. You know, it's so funny. I, uh, I'm a big Taylor Swift fan and, you know, went to the Aeros tour a couple of times this summer. And the only thing I can relate this Caitlin Clark, like bonanza to is people's obsession with Taylor Swift, because you have people in stadiums crying. They're showing up eight hours before the game, standing out in the cold to make sure they're in line to get a spot to, to see Caitlin Clark, just to catch a glimpse of her. It is absolutely insane. And, you know, you guys have covered professional athletes for years, and I've never seen this type of mania surrounding a single person before outside of, you know, some of the big, big, massive stars, LeBron James of the world, uh, you go down the list. Uh, and it's amazing the atmospheres that we're seeing. She's selling out everywhere she goes. I mean, the, the least expensive ticket last night was just south of $400 just to get in the building. What she's doing is unprecedented. And so much of it, I think, is also because we live in this time of social media where it's so prevalent. So everybody is aware of who Caitlin Clark is. Um, you know, we've had great names in college, women's college basketball forever. Candace Parker sold out arenas at Tennessee. Uh, Skylar Diggins sold out places in Notre Dame. But they didn't have social media the way Caitlin Clark does. And my goodness, everybody in the world knows who she is. Nor were they bombing away like this. And th- sometimes we can't really measure the impact of what we deem to be a transformational athlete until there's been some significant time removed. And we start to see what the, the off the top of my head, when the, what was called the tiger generation of professional golfers who picked up clubs because of him and played a certain way because of him, the group that he spawned that then, then took him out. You look at what happened with Steph Curry, and I don't think we're quite there yet, but when Trey Young showed up, and, and, and we're going to get people who 
shoot threes from distance in a way that we're we're starting to see it become less of a thing now because everybody has that in their game. I I don't know how long it's going to take, but I will bet you that we are going to see not just an overall improvement in shooting, but the idea of changing the nature of what constitutes a reasonable shot from distance in the women's game because of Caitlin Clark. Yeah, it's fascinating because talking to coaches and whatnot, it's like, have you have you seen something like this? Have you seen a player like this? And, um, you know, I was talking to Doug Bruno at DePaul, and he said, I haven't seen a kid hit it from distance the way that she does consistently. She's like Steph Curry. And you think about when, like, Steph Curry started to really become prominent in the NBA, he was hitting 35-footers, 40-footers consistently, and it completely changed the way – teams scouted him and how teams approached the game in general. And you're seeing the same exact thing with Caitlin Clark. You know, teams are really having to adjust and young women watching her want to hit 40 footers now. Now keep in mind, I, you know, growing up, I wasn't allowed to shoot a three pointer until I was strong enough to. So you have some of these younger players cause it could ruin your form if you start too early. Uh, but nonetheless, it's uh, yeah. But the moment the coach leaves, or the, the, the moment the moment uh, mom or dad or the coach leaves, I'll bet you. hundred percent. Yep, yep. Alone in the gym? Oh, Are you kidding me? Come on. Yeah, no, you're you're exactly right. It's it's cool to see so many young women that are excited about basketball and women's basketball, especially uh, to have you know these signs in, in the stands that say Caitlin Clark is my Roman empire, like things like that. <laughs> We're seeing crazy pop culture references and, and it's all surrounding this 22 year old who has handled this better than most people would be able to. I also love all the accolades that you're seeing the Nike post that they came out with saying, you break it, you own it. And her picture with the isolation of the shot where she celebrates getting that, getting that scoring title and passing Kelsey Plum, who's definitely a legend in her own right, but just the way she's being celebrated by not just women's basketball fans, not just little girls, but everyone. Yeah. It's unique. And it's so special to see, you know, Lil Wayne tweeted about it. Oh, you're like, are you kidding me? It's so cool. Um, What I respect so much about Caitlin is, you know, yesterday she was so happy and giddy. And talking, you know, throughout shoot around throughout the day, she has a huge smile on during warm ups. And I think a lot of like athletes try really hard to be like, oh, I'm in game mode, I'm focused, I'm focused. And for her to like have a human reaction to, oh my goodness, I'm about to become the all time leading scorer in women's basketball history, I think that was very authentic. And something that's very cool about her is that she's willing to play with her heart on her sleeve. And you see it all the time on the men's side, these guys, you know, they, they're passionate about what they do. Um, and Caitlin Clark's been passionate since the moment she stepped on campus. Why do you also think about the shot, like her actual shot? That is a high hierarchy three. You know what? She credits her leg strength to her soccer background. Mm. Uh, she played a ton of soccer in high school. It was really good. So she's able to get a lot on the ground from her legs to get that shot off. But the shot she hit the uh, record, got the record on, is her signature move, which is that step back from right to left. It's her favorite move. She's done it since her freshman year. And what makes her so special is that she can create separation on anybody. 
and that's what's so difficult. Like the, the great players, the great scorers in the NBA, WNBA, you name it, they can create their own shot by creating separation. It's so difficult to do, but she's a master at it. So we heard the crowd chanting one more year, and a lot of places you'd think that's completely unreasonable. And yet, in this case, it's not. There are valid arguments, both financial and otherwise, for a very lucrative, successful, fulfilling return. And I'm wondering, I want your opinion, please, Megan, from two perspectives. (laughs) What is best for Caitlin Clark and what is best for the sport? You know, it's interesting because if you talk to her, I mean, she'll tell you that she still doesn't know and doesn't have her mind made up, which, you know, it might be true. You get into the course of the season, you're so focused on the team and the task at hand that you have to put some things on the back burner. And she's been excellent at compartmentalizing things throughout this whole process. Uh, I think it's best for her to go after this year. And I know Iowa fans don't want to hear that. Caitlin Clark has accomplished absolutely everything she possibly can outside of winning a national championship. They got to the national championship game a year ago, lost to LSU. Uh, but she's accomplished the scoring record. She is going to go down as one of the all-time great assist uh, makers in the game, a rebounder, uh, triple doubles, like you name it. She set so many different records. They're graduating some of their top talent after this year, Debbie Marshall, Kate Martin being two of those players. So there's still a lot of question marks on how I was going to be next year. Uh, and I, I just think she, the hoopla and all the momentum surrounding her is amazing. But I also think she's probably ready for the next level. I think college basketball has become too easy for Caitlin Clark. Yeah, I mean, I could certainly see that. Even the way she responded in that game to score the first eight points in that game last night when she was held out of the fourth quarter scoring in the game before, not the fourth quarter, rather, but just, you know, held out in that last, like, half of this, you know, well, yeah, the fourth quarter. So yeah, I think, yeah, that's, I think that that's notable. You know, she, I don't think that that had happened and she gets held out of scoring and then comes back and scores the first eight points of the game to get this thing going at home. To me, that was an excellent example of her adjustment. Yeah. And that's the thing about her. She's got that mindset that the greats have. You have to hate to lose more than you love to win. And Clark was so angry that they lost at Nebraska the way they did. That whole entire team was. And so you knew that they were just sitting on this and stewing for a couple of days, headed into the Michigan game, and they were able to just come out on absolute freaking fire. Megan, this is a lot of fun. And I know things, uh, like you say, are uh, are still giddy and, and still crazy for you right now. But thanks for finding the time for us. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks guys so much. Appreciate the time. Fun time to cover basketball right now, Megan. Hope you have a great rest of your month. That's Megan McEwen. Thank you, basketball analyst for Big Ten Network and Peacock. It's going to take me, like, I was so used to saying halves for the women's game for so, so long that I still mess up every now and then. Well, it's okay. I mean. It was like that for me turning on the game yesterday where I'm like, oh, second. Oh, it's a second quarter. Oh, she was held out of the fourth quarter. And I was like, that sounds weird. But that's right. But that sounds weird. Is there a reason the men haven't made that change yet? I don't know. It's like I was just telling Ray. It's like it's like they're just doing it to be different at this point. It was a very subtle change that largely went under the radar as to why. 
And I covered women's college sports for so long that I was so used to saying halves. I think it happened. Was that 22 when that occurred? It wasn't that long ago. Yeah, 22 or 21. Yeah, I think I like went to the Olympics and came back and it's like, they're quarters now. And I'm like, wait, what? What happened well, it makes sense. Away? It makes sense to do that because the professionals do that. So just make it like the pro game and make it like the high school game. Like, why do we have to ha- why do we have to be different? Because that's how we are about everything. Let's get some thoughts on one of my favorite basketball players. <laughs> Wait, from, from one of my what? From one of my favorite basketball broadcasters. Next <laughs> on the score, you're listening to Bernstein and Holmes middays ten to two on Sports Radio six seventy. The score. The Parkinson Spiegel Show is hosting a QB1 town hall next Wednesday from 2 to 6 p.m. in front of a live studio audience, better than a dead one, at the Blue Cross Blue Shield performance stage. You have a chance to win your way in now. Callers 6 and 7 to the scores contest line, 312-540-0670, will have the opportunity to have their voice heard in the Bears QB1 debate. As the offseason begins, you can also register to win by visiting 670thescore.com slash contests. That's the QB1 Town Hall with Parkins and Spiegel next Wednesday from 2 to 6. Can somebody please, please start the show with Parkins and Spiegel was filmed in front of a live studio audience. And they have like a warm up person come out to get the crowd going. But don't you like, remember? Like that was a flex. Shirley. Laverne and Shirley is, yeah, absolutely. It was filmed before a live studio audience. So I've had my fun at the expense of Thanasis Antetokounmpo, the bro- brother of Giannis Antetokounmpo. Oh, you have. <laughs> because Thanasis is bad. Did you see him hit the sham god the other night? He actually did. That they put him in at the very end of a game, and he got a guy one-on-one, and, and, he, and he hit the sham god on him. The fact that he made the layup instead of missing it, because if you ever want to laugh out loud, like at the end of a day at work or the middle of a day, just look up Thanasis Antetokounmpo low-light reels. You cannot believe those are actually occurring in NBA games. I was just laughing at you when Adrian Griffin got fired, and you were like, he can't play. <laughs> Who, Thanasis? Yeah. He can't. And that was it. It wasn't play blank. No, it he was, can't. he can't play. He can't, but it doesn't matter. If Giannis wants a roster spot used for his brother, he gets one. And this didn't happen with Khalil Mack's brother on the Bears. It's not like Casey Erlacher was, was out there. But in this case. Oh, on yeah, an, what about, about Yonder it, Alonso? On an, and, but, yeah, but at least he was a major league player. On, on an NBA roster where these spots are so precious, precious, they use one for Thanasis Antetokounmpo. And this was noticed by Charles Barkley. Thanasis Antetokounmpo. No, not Thanasis. What a week for the Greek bleak. Kenny, cue the music. Hey, y'all can make fun of Thanasis. Hey, that guy got better job security than a Supreme Court justice. Uh, not, not in reading my book on the sideline. Oh, my God. That was, that was relentless. And they're singing yakety sacks. That's the, they're doing the music themselves. It's like you with the sound drops. They're actually singing it while watching his highlights. 
But that, he, but he that, did. He who is who is defending him on the was, sham god? Because he did. Was hundred percent relentless. Yeah. Like that was that was a I, takedown. I got to look again and see who was defending him because that is that may be the nadir of professional basketball existence when you allow, and, and and people are asking what's a sham god? A sham god is a particular kind of crossover, and it was even though it's credited in in American basketball to the former player God Sham God. It was a move that was used in Eastern Europe. It was known as the whip. And what it is, is you sort of lay the ball. You you sell a fake by over-dribbling with one hand. So the ball just kind of bounces on its own. And as the defender comes after the ball, you sweep with your opposite hand over and back on, on a dribble. So you lose it on purpose with this hand, across with the whoop, other, whoop. and then back. And that's known as a sham god, and Thanasis actually did that in a game. So he gets one highlight for his career. Mazel tov. Yeah, and it was all it was all napalmed <laughs> they, by inside the NBA. Did they call him the Greek bleak. I, that was that was a <laughs> relentless stretch <laughs> of just takedown after takedown. They called him the Greek bleak. <laughs> Parkinson Spiegel next on the score. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.